welcome to another episode of the Universe Within podcast. On this episode, I sat down with Andrew Camargo. Uh, Andrew's a really fascinating guy. Uh, we had been in talks for a while. He is based here in the Sacred Valley of Peru, where I'm also shooting uh, the, the podcast from. Uh, our schedules were overlapping for quite a while, but finally we were able to coordinate and sit down. Uh, he was recommended to me by a listener of this show, uh, and I'm very grateful to this listener for uh, setting this interview up, because in the end, it was uh, a really fascinating fascinating interview, probably one of my favorites, actually. Um, Andrew's a really fascinating guy. We we got into his background um, and just some really fascinating topics, topics that, that uh, really interest me, things like shamanism, uh, the, the history of Western shamanism, occultism, alchemy, uh, really tracing it all the way back as he did to Atlantis and the Egyptians, the Greeks, the Romans, and I think really kind of a, a masterclass in, in, in the history of, of a lot of this work and the lineages and um, how they arose and and uh, kind of changed through time. Talking about some of the traditions of uh, the Americas as well, um, and and really just kind of breaking down some of these ideas about shamanism and the occult and alchemy. Uh, we got into some really interesting topics about sorcery and black magic, and even how that's affecting the world uh, in in really interesting ways that that people uh, may or may not have uh, thought about. I think Andrew's a, a really intelligent guy, a really wise guy who's uh, done some amazing work. I, I had a chance to listen to his um, webinar series, and um, he's. He, He's he's a very wise guy, and he's he's done a lot of work, and I think he has a really beautiful ability to to draw in these different traditions and find the commonalities and the histories and seeing things from a broader perspective. So. I think and trust you all will we'll get a lot out of this episode. We we went, uh, I think, four hours, which for me is always a, a great sign that there's a lot to be shared. So I hope you all enjoy this. As always, uh, if you're able to support this podcast, that's a really big help to me. Patreon is a really good option. You can sign up for as little as a dollar a month. Uh, there's different tiers you can sign up for. Those tiers give you different things back, things like early access to shows, bonus material, Q&As. To all the people who have supported that way, to all the patrons, as always, thank Thank you very much for your support. Uh, I really appreciate it. Uh, one of the things I, I really like about websites like Patreon is they work on this idea of reciprocity. So, um, you know, I, I put these shows out for free, but they they take a lot of work to, to organize, to, to shoot, to, to research, to edit, to, um, you know, publicize all of these things. So, if you're able to support in that way and, and, and give back, that's um, that's that's deeply appreciated. Um, there's also the ability to direct donate via PayPal. I'll put a link to both of those in the show notes. And then if you're not able to do that, uh, helping with the algorithms is also a really big help in supporting this show. So if you're viewing this, the video version on YouTube or Rumble, um, subscribing to the show, turning on the notification bell, liking the videos, leaving any questions or comments in the comment section. Those things all really help with the algorithms. And then if you're listening to this on the, the podcast versions on Apple Podcasts or Spotify are, are really the big ones, uh, and also subscribing, following uh, the show, and then with Apple Podcasts, leaving a starred rating and a short review, those are really big helps. Um, so I think that's it. Without further ado, here is my conversation with Andrew. Running out from the maze, running out of the maze today. 
out from the mess today. I'm running out from the mess, running out from the mess, running out of the mess today. So yeah, it, you know, uh, like I was just mentioning, um, I'm, I'm, you know, apologies to this person, but but uh, someone I guess who's a friend of yours or maybe a student uh, reached out and, and recommended you to me, mm-hmm. um, and I can't remember their name, but I'm going to look it up uh, mm-hmm. after this. And we were trying to uh, set this up for a while, Is that and Jude, Max, Jude. Anyway, I'm not sure. Old student. Yeah. Yeah, it could be. Um, and yeah, we kind of, we, we were in touch a few times. Our, our paths didn't work out. You, you were kind of traveling back and forth to North America. I was as well. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a pleasure to have you. you. You forwarded me some material that you're working on. And, uh, you know, I, I think there's a lot of topics that we can get into. So <laughs> yeah, right. um, we'll, we'll try and keep this, you know, relatively short. But let, let's see let's see where it goes. But Maybe to start off, you can just tell the audience a bit about, uh, you know, who you are, your background, and, and kind of what what led you to, to the point of, of, of life that you're at right now. Okay. Uh, well, I, I really received a classical North American education and uh, received what I now realize, looking back, is a, is a shamanic calling in the midst of this classical education. So right now I'm working to be a bridge. Uh, between worlds, uh, you know, for Westerners who are undergoing what I consider to be um, spiritual awakening or, or, or even what I would call a shamanic awakening. Uh, because, uh, you know, I was, I was raised in a suburb of Toronto. Hmm. Uh, my father's a psychologist. My mother's was a, was a, a fitness instructor, you know, and... Um, so I was raised with like kind of upper middle class values of like psychology, mental health through a psychological lens. Uh, my father is American and he went, he kind of went through this kind of Ivy League education uh, that he valued a lot. Like he went to Yale University and I remember when I was a kid he was really like impressing upon me like how important it was that I get a good education. And, so I worked really hard in high school. I went to like an all boys private school, worked really hard in school and did my best to go to my father's alma mater. And, and so I ended up, so I ended yeah. up going to university at Yale and, but in the middle of my <laughs> middle of my time at Yale, I had like a, a mental breakdown, existential breakdown and, uh, and, uh, kind of a very classical, shamanic calling you know like uh, but at the time I didn't have any paradigm to understand it as such um, you know I, I can I thought I was having a kind of psychotic break you know or a manic episode I thought maybe I was latent schizophrenic or latent bipolar and uh, <clears throat> you know because I just I just lost my sense of identity uh, all of a sudden like virtually overnight you know I lost my sense of identity and then I started hearing voices, and I, and I started um, 
seeing things, you know. I <laughs> uh, started hearing people's unconscious thoughts. I started, like, hearing a voice in my head that was telling me things about what other people were really thinking. And I started to experience a lot of um, overwhelming energies, overwhelming sexual energies, overwhelming insights about things, about about metaphysical things. And I almost ended up in a psychiatric hospital, but, like, I kind of narrowly missed that, you know. And I spent the rest of my time uh, in university uh, being a kind of, like, eccentric crazy person and people are like oh Andrew that guy's crazy you know uh, but I made it through university I got my degree and I wanted to be a, a filmmaker and a storyteller like like I had this grandiosity to be like a myth maker for my for my culture I had this sense that I had an important story to tell or something like that very very grandiose um, <clears throat> So, you know, I, I graduated university and then I just started working as a waiter. And I tell you, I was the worst waiter you can imagine because my head was always like somewhere else. But like, you know, I was like waiting tables and smoking a lot of cannabis and doing a lot of creative writing. And uh, during this time, I started experimenting with psychedelics. And uh, then I discovered this concept of shamanism. And this like like really, really clicked with me because up until then I hadn't been able to quite describe what I was doing, what I was going through. And I was always using this kind of um, psychiatric model. Like, I don't know, do you know the DSM-4, the DSM-5, the Diagnostic Statistical Manual? And like, I was like, okay, I'm borderline personality disorder. I've got shades of bipolar. Maybe I'm like latent schizophrenic. Like, and I was diagnosing myself in this pathological way. Then I discovered the work of Carl Jung. And this was a huge stepping stone to my spiritual journey. Because Jung was like bridging worlds of like psychology and science and modern modern science and ancient shamanic wisdom and he had a, a kind of framework or, or a psychology that was a good bridge between these two and so when I discovered Jung I really that really helped me a lot I was like okay I'm not like mentally ill um, I'm going through what Jung called an individuation crisis. I'm having a, a dramatic awakening of my unconscious and I'm struggling to uh, incorporate the archetypal consciousness that's being awakened in me. That was super helpful. That was incredibly helpful. And um, so I started reading Jung. I started studying Jungian psychology. And that led me to the concept of alchemy. And I found a lot of use in the, in the imagery of alchemy. It was like an occult science that was describing what I was going through. So I started to identify with alchemy. I said, okay, I'm not mentally ill. I'm individuating, as Jung said, I'm working on the great work, like the alchemist said. I'm working on the philosopher's stone. I'm like transmuting the, my darkness. I'm, 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 I'm purifying my soul. I'm, 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 I'm discovering the secrets of eternal life. Like, it was still very grandiose, right? But so alchemy helped me a lot. Then, through my experimentation with psychedelics, notably uh, psilocybin mushrooms, um, I discovered the concept of shamanism. And that was like the missing link in my understanding of this process that I was going through. I'm like, oh my God. It's, I'm going through some sort of modern, modern day shamanic initiation. I started researching it and I discovered that every culture has shamans. 
they just go by different names. They don't like shaman is, I suppose, a Siberian name, but like that, that's the name that stuck to describe that person, that role, that service for a culture, the one who bridges the world, bridges the culture and the spiritual world, the one that, that does soul rescue, the one that, that has knowledge of the, the plants, the one that has knowledge of healing, the one that knows how to deal with demons, the one that has knowledge of how to, you know, <laughs> like um, protect and serve the soul of the culture. And I realized that every culture has that, that it's an archetype. It's an archetypal phenomenon. And um, so I said, well, if every culture has that, then Western civilization must have the equivalent. And I guess that's what I'm going through. I guess I'm going through some sort of like Western shamanic initiation. And the more I researched it, the more I discovered that these are like spontaneous. They happen like spontaneously. They happen through crisis. Like... Um, Somebody called to, to this sort of role um, usually has to go through some sort of like life-threatening illness or some sort of major crisis where uh, they almost die or they maybe even die in some cases, die and come back or, or um, some sort of major illness. And so I started to like researching. There was one book that was really useful to me. It was Mircea Eliad's book. Uh, what is it? Um, no, wow, I'm forgetting the name. Shamanism, Archaic Techniques of Ecstasy. And he was an anthropologist who studied shamanic rites of passage and shamanic initiation patterns in all over the world, in indigenous cultures all over the world. And he found, more or less, a, an archetypal initiation structure. It always involved a sickness and then a, a death and a dismemberment. And the shamanic candidate usually went through some form of dismemberment, and it was usually very gruesome, gru gruesome and grueling, like ripped apart by demons or tortured by demons or like uh, something along the lines of, of being, being ripped apart by demons and then put back together again, put back together again in a new form. So there was a dis death, dismemberment, and then resurrection structure. And then what followed that was like a period of, of education and training, like the, the, sh the new shaman has to like learn the sacred history of the tribe or learn the sacred songs of the tribe or learn, learn the, the sacred healing plants uh, or learn some, the, 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 uh, the ancestral knowledge in order to be a new link in this chain. And so I realized that, that uh, being a link in a chain was an integral part of it. So I'm like looking for this chain. I'm like, okay, I know that this is an archetypal phenomenon that spontaneously emerges in every culture. It's an innate human archetype and it emerges to meet the needs of, of the culture. And uh, so I'm like, okay, this is happening to me. Uh, this is, but but it's it has to be culturally specific. I'm not going to go to the Amazon and be an Amazonian shaman. I'm being called to be some sort of Western, whatever you want to call it, Western shaman. You know, some people say that that's a that's an oxymoron. That that that, that you can't have Western shamans. I say no. I say you absolutely. It's an archetype, and and uh, so. <clears throat> I went like looking for like the shamanic lineage in, in Western civilization and that sent me on this like amazing adventure, you know. I, I, I'm like, where is the archetypal Western shaman? And I said, well, Carl Jung is the closest thing I could find to an example 
of this. Like he's he, and then I went researching his life, and then I found out that he had like a, an initiation experience. I don't know if you know like the story of Jung, but like when he broke with with Sigmund Freud, he had um, a existential crisis, and then he started having visions, and he started having really vivid dreams, and he decided to just like go for it and dive into it, and so he had. He, he did a sustained period um, that he wrote about in his autobiography. He called it his confrontation with the unconscious, but we could just as easily call it like his shamanic initiation. And um, Is that he, where his, his red book comes from? That's exactly where his red book comes from. That's where the red book comes from. The red book is a, a journal of his shamanic initiation. But see, he did something very uniquely Western and very, very much in the Western impulse of alchemy. He was a spiritual scientist about it. He didn't just dive in and have visions and get initiated and get allies and get new powers and then come back and start shamanizing. He, he was like a scientist about it. He recognized that he was doing a kind of soul retrieval for his culture. He realized that something was lost because he was, he was studying the work of the Gnostics and he saw that in the Gnostics, around the time, around the time of Christ, like before, just before, like in the Alexandria, like 300 years before Christ, up to about 300 years after Christ, there's this period of about 600 years where you have the phenomenon of Gnosticism, which really uh, gestated a lot in, in the city of Alexandria. Because in Alexandria, you had initiates from all the ancient world, like ancient Egypt, ancient Greece, um, even the East, even like the Buddhist initiates and even Persian initiates and they were all um, and Chaldean initiates, they were all gathered together in Alexandria sharing initiatic wisdom with each other. And if you know if you know the hidden history of uh, the hidden history of entheogens and psychedelics, you know that they were all so tripping together. <laughs> you know, they were all sharing like like entheogenic medicines together, tripping on DMT together and, and sharing like the secrets of the spiritual world. And this is where Hermeticism comes from. And this is where alchemy really comes from. And this is where Gnosticism really comes from. So Jung was tapping into that, but then he saw that the rise of the Roman church cut off this, this shamanic impulse from Alexandria. And so he went on a mission to kind of retrieve the shamanic impulse. And he found the link in alchemy. And he's found that in medieval alchemy, you have this continuation of Hermeticism, this continuation of Gnosticism. So when Jung did his Red Book initiation, he didn't know about alchemy yet. Um, but he did what intuitively what the alchemist did. He dove into himself and he made like rigorous kind of scientific records of his inner work. And that's what the Red Book is. It's it's. He's charted his journey. He wrote down all the conversations he had with spirit guides. He, he wrote down all his dreams. And he documented it. And uh, because he thought he was doing something unprecedented, he didn't realize that he was actually uh, a new link in this chain of Western shamans, of Western alchemists. And so it was only after he did his Red Book experience and had his initiation experience that he was somebody tipped him off to alchemy and then he realized that the alchemists were the missing link in this chain. And so that allowed him to trace the, 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 the impulse of the Gnostics and, the, um, and Hermeticism, Alexandrian Hermeticism. That allowed him to fill in the missing gap in the, in the Dark Ages, 
like in the medieval times, when the Roman Church came and like persecuted the shamanic impulse, persecuted the shamanic impulse. It went underground and it was carried on through the alchemists up until, up until I don't know the 1700s, and then Jung kind of went through a modern day alchemical initiation, and, and the Red Book is his alchemical opus. And uh, so he did this big soul retrieval of this persecuted shamanic impulse in Western civilization. And so I'm like realizing this and it's blowing my mind, right? I'm like, oh my God, there is this shamanic impulse in Western civilization, but it is severely persecuted. And it's been like persecuted for hundreds of years and it, it has gone underground and it's given rise to the phenomenon of occultism or esotericism. So I, I figured, Okay, the, the shamanic impulse, which cannot be, it cannot be stopped, it can be suppressed, but when you press it down, it like emerges in like other places. So I recognized it emerging in alchemy and, and in the world of secret societies, and that got me studying esotericism. So I, on the one hand, I started studying like Western esotericism, but then on the other hand, I felt this call to connect with something that was missing from Western esotericism, which was connection with nature, connection with the plant medicines. Because I looked at Western esotericism and I saw like what, what Freemasonry and like secret societies like Rosicrucianism and I saw a bunch of like Western shamans getting initiated in caves and in tombs. But at the same time I was really called uh, to the Amazon you know, and, and to plants, and to, like, the, this idea of the indigenous shamanism. So I'm like, okay, we have, like, our own version of, of the shamanic impulse in esotericism, but it's been corrupted. It's been pushed underground, and it, while it was pushed underground, it somehow seems to have been corrupted. Like, the shamanic impulse has turned into secret societies, and then secret societies seem to have been corrupted by this power impulse by using shamanic knowledge and magical knowledge to have to do black magic. And so I'm like, there's something missing here. Like there, so I felt a really strong call to ayahuasca and, and what it represented in my imagination. And to me, it represented in my imagination, the mysteries of, of nature and a kind of unbroken tradition that comes from like uh, the, the, the more indigenous shamanic impulse, like working with nature spirits, working with entheogens to go into trance and do soul retrieval work. Like I saw a lot of occult knowledge in the West, but I didn't. But I, something was dark about it. Something was really cut off from from healing. And I so what started to happen in me is I started this dual process inside myself where I started to really dive into alchemy and Western esotericism, and yet I was also seeking the wisdom, the unbroken ancestral wisdom that comes from I don't know, various expressions of indigenous shamanism. So that led me to discover my, my, my lineage, which I now practice, which is the lineage of Santo Daime. So I, do you know what Santo Daime is? But yeah, maybe, maybe you can... I think probably a lot of the audience does, but I'm sure some okay. don't as well. So yeah, maybe you can elaborate. So like, uh, I always figured I'd do like what, what, what many were doing and like go to Iquitos and like seek out like a Shipibo shaman and do an apprenticeship or something like that, right? 
it didn't end up going down that way for me, you know. Um, I ended up uh, drinking ayahuasca for the first time in New York City um, in a Santo Daime ceremony. Uh, like, I was in New York chasing down this author that I admired named Daniel Pinchbeck. He wrote uh, a couple books that had a big influence on my journey. One was called Breaking Open the Head, a psychedelic journey into the heart of contemporary shamanism. He had a lot of similar ideas that I was having about like how we're going through a shamanic renaissance, you know, and like modern Westerners are having spiritual crisis and are awakening to psychedelics, awakening to entheogens, and going to various shamans to like get modern day shamanic initiations. So he did that, the author did that, and, and that was like a good example for me. That was something I wanted to do. He got to travel around and do various, like in Gabon with, with uh, Iboga. And he did some Santo Daime initiation. He went to Mexico, did some sacred mushroom initiations. He went to Burning Man. And he, he bridged a lot of like, he wove together a lot of like uh, manifestations of the modern shamanic renaissance. There's various ways that the shamanic impulse is like popping up in, in various facets of culture. And he inspired me to go to these various facets of culture to try to retrieve the fragments of the shamanic archetype. So while I was studying Western, Western esotericism and dreaming about drinking ayahuasca in the Amazon, I was raving, I was partying, I was going to Burning Man, I was like getting in touch with like the, 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 like the pagan side of, of culture, like, um, like taking mushrooms and LSD and, and going to psytrance raves for example, getting in touch with this like neo-pagan, neo-shamanic thing, right? Because I was raised Catholic. I was raised Catholic and, and like I had like a religious, like spiritual crisis where I completely rejected it because it was dead for me. It didn't have any gnosis in it for me. You know, like I had my first communion, I took the, 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 the Eucharist, felt nothing, right? So it was just like, so... <clears throat> When I started experimenting with psychedelics, I started to really experience like mystical things and, and, and when I had this like shamanic awakening, I, I, I'm like, okay, it's about direct personal connection with the spiritual world. So I forgot about the Christian paradigm completely. And when I read Daniel Pinchbeck's work, I, I, that inspired me to go exploring like these neo-pagan manifestations of shamanism, the things that have been repressed by the Roman church like the, the druidic impulse uh, or the, um, the, 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 the European witchcraft impulse, or these things that were heavily persecuted. Right? I started to explore that. And, um, but the problem is that I ended up getting really in over my head. And uh, I ended up kind of falling into the shadow side of unguided shamanic initiation. I mean, I was like using psychedelics. I was tapping into powers of magic and sorcery. And then I started to use these powers to aggrandize myself. And uh, that's the typical black magic trap. <laughs> so, so I fell into that, you know? And like luckily, right around this time, I went to New York to uh, pursue this author, Daniel Pinchback. <clears throat> He, was, he had this new book coming out called 2012, The Return of Quetzalcoatl, Quetzalcoatl. And uh, I read the book. I went to New York for his book release party and introduced myself. 
and told him how much his work had inspired me, and he was really gracious. He really took me under his wing, and he showed me around like the New York like psychedelic scene, you know, because I was like living like alone in my parents' basement, like tripping on psychedelics and and journaling all of them. I was like a psychonaut, journaling my experiences and like I built a drum and I was like banging on a drum and I was with a blindfold and I was like trying to like go into the spirit world and work in the spirit world. I was completely unguided. I had no connection to elders. All I had was like Carl Jung and the alchemists. And and I thought that that was sufficient and I was being really reckless with experimentations with mushrooms and a bunch of research chemicals I ordered off the internet and 5-MeO-DMT on my own and like pretty reckless stuff, you know. And, um, and of course, like tr- going to raves and you know, um, went to New York, met the author, he took me under his wing, and while I was hanging out with him one day, he got an invitation to a Santa Daime ceremony that was happening in New York. The leader of the Santa Daime church happened to be in New York that weekend. I just found out about Santa Daime from his book a week earlier, and like all I knew was like, okay, psychedelic Christianity, that sounds pretty cool. Like I was raised Catholic, and for every Sunday for a lot of my life, I had to go up and go like this and eat this wafer that was like completely empty. And and I used to fantasize when I like later on when I started to know psychedelics, I used to like fantasize about like spiking the holy water with LSD, right? And I'm like then you'd have like a real interesting, you know, mass mass on, on Sunday, you know. So when I heard about this idea of like taking ayahuasca but like in a some some sort of Christian context, I thought that sounded pretty cool. You know, I'm like, I'll try that. So the first time I ever tried ayahuasca was in a Santa Daime ceremony in Manhattan, in New York City. And it was cool. I went up and like, you had to, I did the same thing I did every Sunday for years. You go up, you do the sign of the cross, and then you drink what they give you, or you eat what they give you. But this time they gave me a cup of, of Daime, which is consecrated ayahuasca, ayahuasca consecrated in the Santa Daime tradition. It was a positive experience. It wasn't a life-changing experience, but that that same at the end of that that ceremony, I met my wife. She happened to be there. And she was also from Toronto. I'm from Toronto. She was from Toronto. She was visiting New York to, for this ceremony to be because it was being led by the by the leader of of the church, like of the of the tradition, the main leader, I would say. And um Pedrino Alfredo his name. So he was in New York on tour. She went from Toronto. I was there from Toronto. We connected there and then we made this connection. And then months later, I ended up like connecting with her in Toronto and I started drinking Daimi in Toronto. Uh, but like meanwhile, there was like this six month period where I was just doing my like pagan shamanic rebel thing. And I was like on a trajectory to go to Burning Man and I was into magic and I was into like empowering myself with magic and aggrandizing myself. And so I needed more time to like get into trouble. I needed to get like I had to go get into trouble. And this was actually like unconsciously my shamanic initiation. Like I had to like go into the underworld and get ripped apart there. And then and uh, in order for me to like find my like purpose and my real shamanic calling and my shamanic specialization. So um, I. I drank Daimi and then six months went by and I, and I like, I didn't want it. 
I wanted to I wanted to be a rebel, and so I did that, and I got myself in big trouble. I I really started to get extremely reckless. I started to fall into like all forms of like sorcery, you know. And I got to a really desperate, dark place, and I basically hit hit bottom, you know. At one point, I looked in the mirror and I saw that I had become completely corrupted. And at that point, I had like this existential crisis where like I, I asked for help, I like prayed, I was like, God, help me. And then in this moment, the spirit came and like, and like, and guided me like astrally to the Amazon. Like I, I actually like astral traveled to the Amazon and I was like baptized by this like white light and I was like cleansed. And this was my actual calling to, to my lineage, to the Santa Daime. And uh, I came back from this experience with a, with a really strong feeling like I had to get in touch with that girl that I met at my first Centodime ceremony. And I had to start going to Centodime ceremonies. So I went, I got in touch with her, I started going to Centodime ceremonies in Toronto. And uh, I, I really started this process of illuminating myself and getting initiated into the lineage of Centodime. And eventually I did go to the Amazon, I went to that, I, I realized now like that I ended up going to that place that I astral traveled to. And I got, I continued my initiation process and that was like in 2006. And since then I've just been like full on in Santa Daime, full on. Uh, going. To, I've done maybe like 700 works. I was into Daimi, and now my wife and I, so I ended up marrying this woman. Uh, we have a daughter now, who's eight, and we live here in the Sacred Valley, and we have a Santa Daimi church here in the Sacred Valley. Um, but my unique, my initiation in the Daimi was unique because I, I got into esotericism, you know, like I was saying, like alchemy and Western esotericism, and I started to fall into the shadows of Western esotericism too, because the shadows of Western esotericism is black magic. And uh, I, I got bit by that snake, let's say. And, uh, and then I brought that into the daimi and into my initiation to the daimi. And I had done a lot of work to like illuminate that and purify that. And so that led to my, my what I teach, which is basically, um, uh, a new impulse of Western esotericism that, that kind of merges with um, Santodaimi spirituality and the shamanic, the indigenous shamanic impulse of working with nature, working with plant spirits, working with nature allies, and like working in, within an unbroken chain of ancestral wisdom. So I'm working now to like really bring it all together. And so I've started an online school, it's called the School of Modern Soul Science, and it, and it brings together like alchemy and Western esotericism and Rosicrucianism, but also ayahuasca shamanism and Centodaimi and um, you know, also Jungian psychology and, and, and modern mythology and creativity. So I'm working to like amalgamate it in, in this, with this vision in mind of providing Westerners with a map because there's a like due to the kind of collective spiritual crisis that we're all facing there's a kind of collective shamanic response more and more people are getting a shamanic awakening a shamanic calling but shamanic initiation absolutely requires elderhood 
without elderhood, it's almost inevitable that what happened to me will happen. Like fall into the traps, the the temptations of sorcery and deception and illusion and, and, and pathology. It's very hard to to traverse the shamanic initiation process without falling, you know. And we rely on elders who've made it across. They're they're across the threshold, and they can like reach a hand back across the threshold and give us the keys that we need to be successfully initiated, so that our initiation is not like a miscarriage. I do not believe in self initiation. I think elders are absolutely indispensable. So Westerners are in this situation where we're getting a shamanic awakening, we're getting a shamanic calling, but we don't have Western elders. So we have to go seeking elders in other civilizations that have an unbroken chain of shamanism. So we go like the Shipibo people or like the, 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 the descendants of the Incan people or like the, the various traditions that are like non-Western. But the problem with that is that shamanism needs to grow out of the culture it's meant to serve. Because the initiation is what, is what determines the specialization of the shaman. So Westerners grow up in Western civilization experiencing materialism, soul loss, living in a spiritually toxic culture. They get sick because of this. And that's like the beginning of their shamanic initiation. And... It's the, the sicknesses of Western civilization are what create the conditions for Western shamanism to emerge. But where are the Western elders? You know, Carl Jung is cool, but he's dead, you know, and like, and he just started, like, he just started the process. We actually need somebody to guide us in, like, a living. Yes, we can have, like, the, the spirits of deceased shamans guiding us, like, we can have, like, spirit guides, but we also need on the ground, elders, and also ones that can incorporate the use of entheogens. Because it's controversial whether Carl Jung was using entheogens or not. I personally believe that he was. But, um, you know, entheogens are a new, um, not new, sorry, they're, they're, they're ancient, and they've always been related to shamanism, but there's not a lot of instruction in Western civilization about how to work with entheogens. So for that, we go to the Amazon. We seek out the ayahuasqueros who have thousands of years of ancestral knowledge about how to work with these plants. So I'm like, so Westerners need uh, Western shamanic guidance, but also are being called very in a very real way to work with entheogenic medicines like ayahuasca and psilocybin mushrooms. So my work has been to kind of bridge these worlds and be like a Western guide, a type of Western, modern Western shaman that can guide people through entheogenic initiation experiences. And so I have like two forms of guidance that I offer. One is an online school and one is a, is a kind of um, particular and very focused retreat program for men. And um, the online school I started in 2016, and this retreat program for men, I'm just starting now. I'm just starting this year. Uh, the online school is for me to share uh, initiatic guidance with anybody in Western civilization who's going through uh, a modern-day shamanic awakening. But it does not include entheogenic work. It does not include in-person ceremonial work. I offer um, like uh, classes that help people... Um, work productively with their with the initiatic experiences they're going through because if they don't work productively with it they go crazy 
Like so much energy gets liberated when people start to have a shamanic awakening that if they don't have a framework, they can really lose it, you know. Like I almost lost it, but I didn't lose it. But there's, there's all these traps in place in Western civilization to snare the souls of Westerners who are having a spiritual awakening. They get in the psychiatric system, they get medicated. They get, they get put on drugs that cut them off, cut off their connection to their soul, that cut off their connection to the spirit world. It's a conspiracy against, against the spirit. It's a conspiracy that is an evolution of the, the Roman Catholic impulse to persecute Gnostic spirituality, to persecute true shamanic spirituality, uh, direct knowledge of spirit. Um, and that was like, it took the form of inquisition and heresy hunters and inquisition and it was genocidal and, and evil. Uh, and now that is like evolved into uh, kind of psychiatric tyranny. So my school, the School of Modern Soul Science, it works with English speakers mostly all over the world who are going through shamanic awakening. Um, and I'm providing courses and inner work and alchemical inner work that helps them do the alchemy on their own initiation process and to like um, to contain the process and guide the process and help them um, kind of emerge uh, emerge like like Jung did emerge so each, each of my students does their own kind of personal red book you know but but there's a part of me that that really wants to work specifically with in person with people to do entheogenic initiation work. So to this end, I'm, I'm, I'm launching this program called Soul Invictus, which means the unconquerable sun. And I want to work specifically with men. I want to work with men that have this call to undergo some form of entheogenic initiation, but they want to do it. it they, they're not feeling connected to the indigenous shamanic ways like they don't necessarily want to go to Iquitos and do dietas with with ayahuasqueros shipibo ayahuasqueros um maybe they want more of a western approach so i'm i'm working to be this bridge this kind of um westerner that knows psychology that knows occultism that knows esotericism but that also knows ayahuasca that can do ceremonial work that can do soul retrieval work um that westerners really connect with. So I'd say that's probably a good intro. <laughs> I guess that's my, okay, that's my intro. <laughs> yeah, that, that's amazing. Um, so when, when you're having this, I mean, it's interesting because you, you were saying your, your father was a, a psychologist or yeah, psychiatrist. He's a clinical and, psychologist. Yeah. yeah. Um, so you're in you're in university, and that's kind of when this this process begins to to unfold. Mm -hmm. um, do you have any sense of why that happened? <laughs> you know, because it's I think for uh, probably many people listening to this can relate to that. And then there's going to be people who, who just don't relate to that. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and it, it, it's also interesting that your father's a, a psychologist. Um, you know, and, and it's kind of a big subject. But, but you're also talking about this idea that in the West there is this kind of suppression of these, what could be considered 
different states or altered states or states that are outside of the norm, mm. which in many traditional cultures, that was also something that was sought after mm. because it was seen that there was wisdom there, that there was there, there was like a portal there. Um, so I guess one part of that question is, is, you know, why do you think that happened to you? And, and maybe also at that time in your life. And, and what do you think is that line? Because, you know, it sounds like you had a very, or at least at the time, you, you had a, an impulse of, of what was happening to you. And I'm sure that was very different from what society was saying, or even maybe your father was saying. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. but, and, and this is where, like, a cosmovision is so interesting. Mm-hmm. Like, like, how do we, what is our worldview? How do we yeah. see things? Like, what is actually happening? Why is something happening? Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, I think to some degree, you know, for lack of better words, in, in the West, things are maybe changing a bit, but, but there is a, a very different worldview of, of and, and it's tricky too, right? Because like, what is that line between real psychosis and, and someone falling into, to a new way of being, to, to a new path? Mm-hmm. Well, something that in my researches I learned was that the Roman Catholic Church suppressed teachings about reincarnation. It's even in the Bible, it even mentions like uh, reincarnation in, a, in one crucial passage where, where Christ says that, that John the Baptist is a reincarnation of, of uh, Elijah. Um, but um, I've, I do believe in reincarnation. And I think that the people that feel called to antigens that resonate with shamanism, they were initiated in past lives. Because the mysteries, okay, so you, you know when I say the mysteries, like Egyptian mysteries, the Greek mysteries, the Persian mysteries, the Chaldean mysteries. Mysteries are an initiation schools where they were using antigens. They're antigenic initiation schools. And all of them were entheogenic. The Egyptian mysteries were using psilocybin mushrooms, they were using acacia DMT, they were using, I mean, people, everybody knows about blue lotus, they don't know that they were using psilocybin mushrooms, and like Egyptian hieroglyphs are filled with references to psilocybin mushrooms. They're everywhere, in, 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 in the temples, in the hieroglyphs, in the carvings on the walls, in the symbolism of the ankh, the symbolism of the scarab beetle, the symbolism of the cow, and the sun disk. Psilocybin, um, you know, imagery's everywhere, you know, and in the Bible even it says, like, about Moses, it says Moses was educated in Egypt. If you understand the esoteric co-language, you, you understand that to mean he was initiated in Egypt. If you know what initiated in Egypt means, you know that Moses was a mushroom eater, you know, so like, so there, entheogens have been present all throughout history, but they've been secret. It's been like the secret of the mysteries. So people that have been initiated in mysteries or, or, or they've been maybe in a past lifetime have been in an in indigenous culture and a shaman in an indigenous culture or they've been in ancient Egypt as a priest or priestess in ancient Egypt or in Greece or what have you, they've been initiated entheogenically in a past lifetime. And that makes such a profound impact on your higher bodies that when you reincarnate, you go seeking entheogenic initiation again to continue your mission, your, your soul's multi-lifetime mission. So I feel that it came to me because my higher self willed it, because it was time for me to be initiated into the, the, my mission in this lifetime. So it felt so clearly guided. Um, 
and the timing was perfect. Everything was aligned because there are higher forces that are that are guiding me. There are higher forces, inc uh, including my own higher self, that I'm not conscious of. It's like my superconscious that instead of my unconscious, I would consider it like my superconscious. I'm not conscious of it, but I'm still being guided by it through synchronicities, through intuitions. Like, like for example, I knew I had to go to New York to see that author. I just had this voice inside of me that was like, you must go. And so, and so I went, I listened to that voice and that's where I met my wife and like, and like my wife, through my relationship with my wife, my whole destiny unfolded. And so I really feel that like um, I'm, I'm just continuing my, my, my mission, my soul's purpose. And I think that the people that, that come to the, 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 a lot of the people, oops, a lot of the people that come to the Sacred Valley um, are all spiritual seekers. And they're, they're kind of, uh, they're old initiates that are seeking out like a new initiation in this lifetime because initiates need to be reinitiated in every lifetime. And the ones who seek out psychedelics, entheogens in particular, are those that have been getting initiated in various lifetimes. And there's this ancient memory that's guiding them. Hmm. So this is kind of a big question, but you know, you've mentioned it a few times, kind of, kind of like this idea of lineage um, from the Romans, from the Greeks, from the Egyptians, uh, you know, and then even before that. And 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 I think a lot of a lot of those concepts, I mean, a concept like like Greeks, I think most in the Western world, it, it's more direct. Like mm -hmm. we we still have literature from them, and, yeah. and although a lot of that is in the yeah. English language, exactly, yeah. yeah. And and yet, I think as you said, a lot of that deeper knowledge has been either lost or misconstrued or just blatantly mistranslated. Mm -hmm. Um, but even this idea of, of going back further, like to the Egyptians, and then maybe even back further, like these ideas of Toth or Hermes, and yeah. and even Atlantis, exactly. and, and you know, I mean, it's very fascinating even being here in the Sacred Valley, like the Andes, the Antis, the the Atla, the you know, Noatla, the 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 people of the water, you mm -hmm. know, and, and so even here you have this like this remnants, even these stories of like. The, the ancestors of the Incas were the survivors of a great flood exactly. who, who were searching out. Yeah. yeah, and the stonework that's here that is by some advanced civilization. Unfathomable. That, uh, unfathomable. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like being here, you're, 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 in a, you're, you're obviously like the Sacred Valley. I love it here. It has this, this uh, spiritual ancientness that is undeniable. Like you look at the stonework, Sacsayhuaman, Ayante Tambo, even in Tiwatana and Pisac, you see the stonework and you're like, this place was inhabited by a very advanced civilization that could melt stone and do and levitate stone up to the tops of mountains or something. I don't know how they did it, but obviously there was some advanced uh, civilization here. Yeah, I mean, the the third webinar in my four webinar series, it's a free webinar series, and it's very substantial. Like, each one is about four hours long, four or five hours long. But the third in the series, I actually do this... I consider it, a, I call it a historical soul retrieval of, of, like, lineage, because it's very important for Westerners to feel a connection to an unbroken lineage. So I, I've, I've been like very consciously trying to continue the work of Carl Jung of like retrieving the shamanic lineage 
for Western civilization. So I trace that back to Atlantis, you know, and like there are these bodhisattvic initiates, these great initiates who incarnated at the end of Atlantis to take all of the spiritual knowledge from Atlantis and plant it like seeds in the new world. So this is where truly where ancient Egyptian culture really comes from. It comes from Atlantis. The great pyramids of Atlantis were not built by the Egyptians. They were built by the earlier civilization and the Egyptians just inhabited it and used it. But the great pyramid was not built by the Egyptians, you know. Um, Which is also fascinating because, you know, probably a lot of people aren't familiar. Like if you actually read the glyphs, you know, they, they trace back their, their, their kingdoms something like 35,000 exactly. years. Exactly, exactly. And it's, it's just, it's completely ignored by modern... It's completely suppressed. Yeah. It's to, straight up suppressed because uh, there's, there is a conspiracy to conceal our true spiritual origins. I mean, when the Roman church started persecuting, the, the first thing the Romans did when they went into Britannia was to, was to genocide the Druids. You know that because the Druids were a shamanic ruling class, it was a it was a it was a civilization ruled by shamans. They were the leaders, um, and the Romans just the, the first thing they did was exterminate the Druids. Um, there is something in the Roman spirit that is anti-spiritual, that wants to um, cut off humanity from the spirit, like a disease. Um, like an evil impulse. And uh, it, that impulse it, it took over Christianity. That, that, to, and then cut off the Gnosis Christianity. Christianity, if you study like the occult history, you see that Christianity emerged out of the mysteries, the entheogenic mysteries. So originally Christianity was entheogenic. But when the Roman emperor took over, he took the dogma but cut off the, the, the entheogenic sacraments and created a kind of empty form of it and then took this empty form and, and made it into a dogma and then forced this dogma on civilization and then and then persecuted and, and, and exterminated the shamans, the, the witches and the, the Gnostics and the people that were carrying on the entheogenic knowledge, the shamanic knowledge. Um, so we even hear, and then that impulse, I call it like the Roman impulse or like the anti-spiritual impulse, um, it it, it evolved out of the Roman church into scientific materialism and then psychiatric materialism in our time, but also uh, it, it evolved into fallen secret societies that, that like basically practice black magic. And they have been uh, very deliberately um, concealing our true history concealing our true history so that we don't feel this unbroken connection to Atlantis, that we don't feel this unbroken connection to this entheogenic mysteries, that we don't feel our, our shamanic lineage. They cut off our shamanic lineage and make us believe that we evolved from monkeys and that the first civilization was in Sumeria and the origin of, there's no God and the origin of the universe is some big bang and like, you know, it's, 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 a, it's a anti, it's a godless paradigm that is being that has been given to us, and the part of the godless paradigm has to do with the official academic history of of human of human history. Right? Um, if we know that we come from a long, long, long chain, an unbroken chain of of 
of uh, illuminated spiritual beings, you know, like there's a, there was an illuminated um, great bodhisattvic figure in mythology, in Hindu mythology named Manu. And this Manu figure is, was, the, was the one who like um, took all of the knowledge, knew that Atlantis was going to be destroyed, was told, and was given this mission of like taking all of the spiritual treasures of Atlantis and then preserving it. And so in esoteric history, you have the story of Manu, who took all of his initiates from Atlantis and did this migration across Europe into the Himalayas and like waited, kind of like waited out the flood in the Himalayas and then sent his initiates down the mountains, like into India, into Egypt, into Persia and like planted the seeds for this, the, what, what we call the post-Atlantean epoch of civilization. You know, so, which is fascinating because even that's that's what the Vedas, which that knowledge is from there, is, exactly, is so fascinating because in the Vedas, which is kind of the oldest knowledge that, that that we know of, they yeah. say, you know, there's this beautiful. It can be translated different ways, but there's this beautiful quote after all of this knowledge is presented is something like, "Or so this is what the ancient ones taught us." <laughs> yeah, yeah. So the Vedas, people like even like again this story of like concealing our true history and cutting it off from from the from the magnitude of how ancient it is. Um, the even acad- even like like Vedic scholars say that the Vedas are what maybe uh, three thousand years old. Bull, they are twelve thousand years old. They were transmitted orally for thousands of years before they were written down. They were transmitted orally. The Vedas are are one are the are from the end of Atlantis. The, these are from the the holy rishis were initiated like as the as the story goes. The holy rishis were the initiates of this Manu figure, and uh, every like mythology has a record of the flood and a record of this Manu figure. In Judeo-Christianity, his name is Noah, you know, and the story goes, oh, he gathered a bunch of animals onto a boat. But the story, the symbolism of the story is more important than the literal. Like, it's not about, like, preserving the genetics of the animals, repopulating the earth with animal genetics. It's not, like, about that. It's about, like, rescuing the treasures from the old world and replanting it in the new world. And, like, ancient Sumeria in in the Epic of Gilgamesh, which they also say is one of the oldest stories. Like you have the figure Utnapishtim, Ut Utnapishtim, who's the Noah figure, who's the Manu figure, who's the only mortal to achieved immortality, and Gilgamesh has to go visit him. You know, in the story of Gilgamesh, that's that same figure. So this is a very important figure in in esoteric history, who is the transition from from Atlantean the end the Atlantean cataclysm to the post-Atlantean epoch. And he, he's like the initiator of like Hermes Trismegistus and Zarathustra and all of these like great civilizational founders, you know. So, so in this webinar, um, which I'm really, I'm really happy with how this webinar turned out. It's like five hours, but I trace from Atlantis, like the esoteric chain right up to the present, like right up to, Carl Jung and Rudolf Steiner and the work that I'm doing in the School of Modern Soul Science and Soul Invictus. Like, I, I trace this lineage. And uh, this, I think, has a lot of um, um, benefit for Westerners to, to 
kind of have this paradigm because it helps them feel connected to this unbroken chain. And that's what we need. That's exactly what's been attacked by this Roman, evil Roman, like anti-spiritual impulse, right? That, that, that is now, that is now like um, working through like secret societies, but for hundreds and for centuries was working through the church structure, you know? Um, so yeah, Atlantis and then like ancient Egypt and, and like a crucial part in this chain is, is Alexandria. Because what happens is in, in this like, um, every once in a while, like when there's transition periods, like when there's the end of one civilization and the beginning of another, it's like the torch gets passed. And um, so you have this figure of Manu who's passing the torch from Atlantis to his, his initiates, which are all like the leaders of the post-Atlantean civilization. That's like a bodhisattvic act of like, like passing the torch across the transition of epochs. And so you have like major transitional epochs, like the end of a whole epoch, like the Atlantean epoch, which ends in cataclysm. But then you have like mini epochal transitions, like the transition from ancient Egypt to ancient uh, Greece, for example. Like Alexander conquered ancient, uh, ancient Egypt and he conquered ancient Persia. And like when you have like these empires falling, you have new empires emerging. And in this transition period, you have this, this Hermes impulse, this hermetic impulse of translating into a new language. The, the shamanic knowledge or the, the, the initiatic, the mystery school knowledge. So like... Um, sorry, sorry to interrupt. Just, just one side note with that, which I think is so important is, you know, I think so much of our, of our suffering is like we forget these transitions. We, we, we forget this relativism. And when you were speaking about that, I was just reminded, I don't know if you've been following, but there was this kind of controversy over this new Netflix series called Cleopatra. And and I think one of the interesting things that came up from that was just this idea that Cleopatra was Greek. Uh-huh. And, you know, people, we often don't think that because we put things in these boxes and we forget about the interconnectedness mm -hmm. of everything. Mm -hmm. That, you know, Cleopatra was a Ptolemaic Greek mm -hmm. figure. She spoke Greek. She was actually the first leader of that time to even bother to learn Egyptian uh -huh. because she was Greek. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, so, sorry to interrupt, but just this idea, you know, because you were speaking about transitions and, and how we forget that all of these civilizations were somehow, you know, there was a connection, there was a, there was a flow, there was a, a transition period, as That's you were speaking about. That's we need about. to study occult history. Westerners mm -hmm. going through on a shamanic path it, it benefit a lot from studying Western occult history um, because uh, that helps us to put things into real perspective and understand a bigger picture like that we're in a, a, a likewise a transition time now you know there's a lot of gringo english speakers here in peru for example we're going through a kind of transition period now we're going through an epochal transition period now and uh, there was an epochal transition period around the, the time of cleopatra and the ptolemaic em empire we call it empire i don't know if you call it an empire um where and you had this 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 translocation of of uh, occult knowledge of spiritual knowledge, uh, moving to a new geography and also moving into a new language. So there was this trans. I don't know what language they spoke in Atlantis, right? But like 
There was a, tra a translation of Atlantean wisdom into the languages of ancient Egypt, ancient Persia, ancient Mesopotamian city-states. Like uh, it, it got translated into, let's say, Egy ancient Egyptian Coptic. But then in Alexandria, you have uh, this this uh, imperial, this emperor, you know, this warlord Alexander, who conquers through through military conquest empires. And then underneath this military conquest, you have this thing happening spiritually, where the spiritual knowledge uh, makes that transition. So through the military conquest of Alexander, he founds the city of Alexandria and, and, and the, the library of Alexandria. And then you have, in, under this blanket of this military empire, you have all of the spiritual wisdom and all of these conquered civilizations getting consolidated and getting translated into new language. So in the in the reign of Alexandria, in the in the, the birth of Alexandria, you have ancient Egyptian wisdom being translated into the Greek language. You have ancient Egyptian sages transmitting and imparting their unbroken their 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 wisdom, which goes back to Atlantis, and the Greeks recognized that the Egyptians had this ancient unbroken lineage of knowledge. And they, they value, valued it. They, they, they praised it. They saw that in Alexandria, they were receiving this, this vast Egyptian inheritance. And they were now joining a new link in this chain. So the knowledge goes from like Egyptian into Greek. And then, and then, in, the, then, and then in the Greek, but then, so for like 600 years, the, the mystery knowledge generates like a sort of a wisdom in Greece and, the, and gives birth to this, her, this uh, phenomenon we call hermeticism and what we now today call alchemy comes from ancient Egyptian wisdom. Um, but then you have more military conquest. You have the military conquest of Islam, like this kind of like a military religious fusion of like Islam comes and conquers the Middle East, it conquers Alexandria, it conquers Jerusalem, and absorbs all of the spiritual knowledge that was hiding there at the time. So all the Greek uh, occult knowledge gets translated into, into Arabic, and it goes to Baghdad. And now there's a, and, and so it's like the phenomenon of Alexandria, like which is, I call it the hermetic impulse. Her, to me, the hermetic impulse is the eclectic weaving together of streams of whiz, spiritual wisdom to create like a new weave that to me is like the work of her, the Ar Hermes archetype like and translating into a new language this transit translation into language is a Hermes Hermes is the god of the messenger god the, the god of communications messenger of the gods so this I call this kind of archetypal uh, hermetic impulse it's what created Alexandria. You had all the sages from Egypt, from even Buddhist sages and Christian Gnostics and 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 Persian and like a, a Chaldean astrology and all these things fusing into this new Hermeticism. Hermeticism gets conquered. Uh, the, Alexandria gets conquered by by the Arabs, the Muslims, and gets translated into Arabic. And then the spirit of Alexandria reincarnates in Baghdad. So in the year, I think in the 700s, uh, the caliphs uh, founded this city, or uh, made Baghdad the capital of this Islamic empire. 
and created a library, which they called the House of Wisdom in Baghdad. And so in the 800s, the same thing that happened in Alexandria happened in Baghdad, where the caliph invited and paid for sages and initiates, spiritual initiates from every civilization in that part of the world, like from China, even as far as China, China, India, and the Greek, from Greek sages and, and like, um, like all from all parts of the world, they all came to Baghdad and all of the wisdom was translated into Arabic. And so this gave rise to a golden age of Islamic civilization. This is a complete golden age of Islamic civilization. And for 400 years, alchemy continued to evolve. And this gave rise to like a, many of the treasures of mathematics and medicine and um Oh, I mean, like magic too, like magic, alchemy, medicine, the, the Hermes Trismegistus, like the three, the three, the three great sciences of Hermes thrice greatest, like um, alchemy, astrology, and magic. So the spirit of Hermes Trismegistus, he moved from Alexandria to Baghdad, and for four hundred years, you know, and then and then and then through again like military conquest. The Islamic civilization like conquered north, all of Northern Europe. And so you have this all of, sorry, not Northern Europe, Northern Africa. And so like all from, and, and like um, modern day Israel and Jerusalem and, and like all along the, the Northern part of Africa, all the way up through Morocco and then across the Strait of Gibraltar into Spain. And then you have like 700 years of war between Christians and Muslims in the Iberian Peninsula. And, but underneath this, like, um, this war, you have like knowledge being transmitted across civilization. So you have like another transition. So, so the knowledge from Baghdad, like the, the hermetic knowledge and the occult knowledge, the, magic, the knowledge of alchemy, astrology, and magic, uh, was was all the way up in Spain by that time. And we're talking now about the 1200s. And then finally, the, the, the Christians, the conquistadors, they won the, Recon the Reconquista. They, they, they finally took Granada. They, 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 won they won the Iberian Peninsula for Christianity, right? Um, and then in Toledo, they created a school of translation called the, the Toledo School of Translators, where they now had all these like wisdom books in Arabic, and they now translated all these, these Arabic wisdom books into Latin and into early Spanish. And then from here, the, the hermetic knowledge, which was repressed by the Catholic Church or the proto-Catholic Church in the 300s and the 400s, which was persecuted, paganism was, was persecuted, when Roman became like quote Christian, um, it's now returning to Europe through Spain. And so now you have like the beginnings of an occult Renaissance in Spain. And this is the actual like real origins of the Renaissance is the return of occult knowledge back into Europe, which is now in the Latin language, you know? So, so that creates the Renaissance and you have the translation of the Corpus Hermeticum in Italy. And then you have this, uh, this, this, rebirth of culture in Europe for a very, very, very dark period of time. And Europe goes through a kind of collective shamanic initiation, like a death, dismemberment, and rebirth. And the Renaissance is like a macrocosmic shamanic rebirth in Europe after they've been through like 
the Black Death, and and like the the Roman Church is like genociding the Cathars and genociding the Templars, and the Cathars and the Templars they had the entheogenic knowledge, they had the shamanic knowledge, and the Roman Church, you know, committed genocide upon them, and you have this like Inquisition and the the very 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 dark time in Europe, but that was like the shamanic dismemberment that gave rise to the Renaissance. And if you look at the occult roots of the Renaissance, you're going to find entheogenic initiation. You're going to find the work of the Rosicrucians. The Rosicrucians are like these entheogenically initiated Christian, pagan Christian mages that go around like initiating artists into entheogens. And then you start to see masterpieces of art emerge. And if you look closely at the, at the art, uh, you can find psilocybin mushrooms hidden in all the art because there was like a secret stream of entheogenic mystery knowledge that was being imparted to the artists. And so this is a, another thing that Westerners don't realize is that there's actually like a lineage of entheogenic Christian art. And you can find it. You can, you can find mushrooms absolutely everywhere in Christian masterpieces, like hidden. It's like, where's Waldo? It's like, where's the mushroom? You can look at the painting and you find the mushrooms and they're hidden. And, and it's unmistakable. Once you know how to look for them, like you, you find them everywhere, you know? So this is unbroken chain again. Like the knowledge gets translated again. It gets translated into Latin. You have the, the rise of medieval alchemy, European alchemy now. It started in Greece and went to Islam and now it's in Europe. And then you also have... Um, shamanic knowledge, visionary knowledge, being transmitted by entheogenically initiated artists. So if you look at medieval art, you find that you find visions. You find these are like artist shamans who are having visions and painting their visions and transmitting teachings through their visionary art. Uh, and so this is another part of the unbroken chain through the medieval and then into the Renaissance. But then in the Renaissance, something really um, serious happened, you have the beginnings of secret societies and the, because there's so much um, persecution of, of the shamanic impulse, uh, the, the trauma makes people vulnerable to being infiltrated. Like trauma is like a hook for darkness to enter in. And so because the secret societies emerged as a traumatic response to genocidal persecution, there was a, a dark seed planted there. And the way that occultism and secret society emerged from the Renaissance onwards, it, it was able to become corrupted. So starting in the Renaissance, you have the first secret society, which was actually a really good and noble secret society, which was the Rosicrucians. They were entheogenic, entheogenic pagan Christians, like alchemist, Christian alchemists. Um, they started a secret society to try to rescue Western civilization from the clutches of the Roman Church, because the Roman Church was like had a had an anti-spiritual stranglehold on civilization. So they were working in secret a, 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 to oppose this kind of satanic impulse of the of the Roman Church. But then this kind of, that created a, a, how do you say, like a kind of a prototype for, that could be corrupted. And the prototype is a secret society of, of highly powerful initiates and magicians who work behind the scenes to influence world events to steer the world in a certain direction. 
And so what's an impulse that started pure was infiltrated and corrupted. And it gave rise to an anti-Rosicrucian secret society that kind of like took the, the, the ideals of the original Rosicrucians and like inverted it. And they used like alchemy and magic in order to uh, do kind of black alchemy, dark evil alchemy on the world and steer the world in another direction. And so we're living right now in the fruits of that. This has been going on for like 300 plus years. And we're living in this world where there's like evil shamans <laughs> that are basically running the world. <laughs> so this is, this, is our, this is our Western lineage. This is our like story. So we actually have a story. And when Westerners get initiated, when, they, when Westerners experience a shamanic awakening, it's really necessary for them to learn their lineage. So this is something I'm teaching, is like the, the Western shamanic lineage. You know, and it's, it's inseparable from occultism, secret societies, uh, Rosicrucianism, the story of Christianity, the story of the Roman Church, the story of the Rosicrucians fighting against the Roman Church, the corruption of the Rosicrucian impulse, the beginning of evil secret societies, and now we're living in a world where black magic is being practiced in a, in a uh, like, globally you know, macrocosmic black magic, like the earth itself is being subjected to black magic. And there's black magicians that are experts at this. And there's Westerners that are like, in the, that's triggering a kind of crisis for them. They realize that they're living in like this corrupted world. They start to have this spiritual awakening and they don't know where to go to pursue their initiation. So they go to the Amazon, you know. Um, so, I guess that brings us to like, you know, where we're, we're here in the Sacred Valley. Uh, the Sacred Valley is filled with spiritual seekers that are seeking initiation. And um, they're kind of like, where Westerners need to kind of like take what they can, where they can find it. Like, and, and, and each person resonates with, with a different elder. And, and people find elders in this culture and that culture. And there's a real weaving happening here. So like, you know, in the, so remember I was talking about, so first it went like Atlantean wisdom into Egypt. Here's how I trace it. Atlantean wisdom into Egyptian mysteries. The Egyptian mysteries transitioned into the Greek mysteries and Hermeticism. The Greek mysteries transitioned into the wisdom of Islam and alchemy and astrology and magic for 400 years in Islam. Then it got translated into Latin and it spread into Europe. And then in around the 1900s, it got translated into German through Carl Jung and Rudolf Steiner. Carl Jung and Rudolf Steiner are two bodhisattvic initiates who translated the wisdom from like Latin and, and they, they turned into German. And then, and then in the 1900s, there was a huge publication of, of occult wisdom, particularly through Rudolf Steiner, who's a, who's a, a link in the Rosicrucian chain. Uh, translated into German, and now in the 20th century, 21st century, it's, it's, it's like being translated, it's been translated into English. So I think like now there's a lot of the, the hermetic impulse is now, is now generated in the English language. So I do a lot of work of translating the wisdom of Rudolf Steiner into, into modern 21st century English. A lot of his work has been translated into, well, 7,000 lectures have been translated into English. But good luck finding a shamanic seeker in the 21st century that has the patience to read the work of Rudolf Steiner. 
he he was a teacher and a bodhisattvic uh, initiate for a hundred years ago. His time and place was a hundred years ago when Europeans were very erudite. They were reading a lot. It was the it was the heyday of theosophy. Uh, people could sit down and listen to lectures for like three hours and maintain focus. Now we have like all these like phones and TVs and like we're bombarded by so much um, stimulus that we, we can no longer take in knowledge in the same way. So knowledge needs to be given in a new way that's appropriate for our century. So that's one of the things that I try to do is to try to like translate the uh, earlier link in the chain, which is Rudolf Steiner, try to translate his teachings into something that, you know, shamanic seekers in the Sacred Valley, for example, would readily be able to absorb. So that's like the tone of, of my the teachings in my school is like Rudolf Steiner, like updated for the 21st century. Um, but now like we're, we're, we're needing to integrate like actual ceremonial knowledge, like how to work in ceremony, how to work with entheogens. And so this is what I've learned in the Santa Daimi. I've learned in Santa Daimi how to work with ayahuasca in this form. And, and Santa Daimi uses ayahuasca that's been alchemized in a, in a Rosicrucian kind of way. It's like a, um, it's a sacrament of nature. It comes from the plants of Banisteriopsis capi and the, the Psychothria viridis, the same two traditional plants. But the alchemy that's performed on it is a Rosicrucian alchemy. It's invoking the, the cosmic Christ impulse. And so Santa Daimi is a, is a kind of mystical Christian sacrament that is like continuing the impulse of the Rosicrucians, of being like pagan Christian alchemists. So Santa Daimi is, is, is an esoteric Christian lineage, um, but it is, it, is, it is kind of a continuation of this Western esoteric Christian chain that was carried by the Rosicrucians, then that was carried by Rudolf Steiner, and that has now reinvented itself in in the past hundred years. Um, yeah, I don't know where I'm going with that. But <laughs> it's, it's interesting because we're, <clears throat> maybe you're finished, but, but we're eating a, a bit of a mambe, which is a, is a powdered coca, uh, and also some, some ambiel, which is uh, tobacco. Uh, and this comes from a guy who who I've worked with and who I interviewed. His name is Amika, or his title is Amika, and he, he comes from a group of people in the the Colombian Amazon called the Tubu. And uh, you know they have these beautiful these beautiful stories. Um, one of them is is kind of like these plants came on this primordial anaconda canoe from from Sirius, transcending the twelve dimensions of time and space. Uh, and, and they brought these plant medicines, tobacco, coca, mushrooms, wachuma, datura, ayahuasca, yopo, marijuana. Wow. Um, but, but he would say it's, it's to help people to remember who they are uh -huh. and where they come from. Uh -huh. And, and it, you know, it kind of reminded me of this idea that you were speaking about, which, which, which really resonates with me, which is this idea of, uh, you know, I think, so much of our suffering as 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 the Tubu would say, is because we've forgotten who we are and where we come from. And that these these stories, this as you were saying, like being able to trace back these lineages, these stories, these myths, there's something that's very healing about that. Mm. Um, because as he would say, like we've become orphans. Exactly. We've forgotten who we are. Yeah. 
not just in a in a linear sense, but but in a soul sense, mm-hmm. like like what does it mean to be a human being? Mm-hmm. You know, are we just monkeys? Are mm-hmm. we just robots? Are we just you know the kind of this modern new atheist movement just mm-hmm. pegs in a wheel of mm-hmm. this this cold machine that's mm-hmm. that's infinite and eternal and just the wheels spinning and when we die there's nothing and mm-hmm. it's and yet that 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 worldview really affects us and and I think as you were saying that that's where so much of of this suffering of, of the Western soul originates from is this cut. Um, you kind of trace this lineage really beautifully. I was wondering if you could speak a little bit more, I mean, if you can, about this idea of, of the Atlanteans, because it, you know, I think it's something that for many people seems so superficial, so woo-woo. And yet, you know, that word comes from the Greeks. It comes from Plato, from yeah. from his uncle, from Solon, who yeah. said he got it from the Egyptians. Yeah, you know? exactly. Yeah. And and I think as more of this kind of interdisciplinary knowledge, you know, especially even as you're mentioning this idea of translation of of, of, of having access to this information, these concepts become less crazy. You know, there, there's more of a direct lineage that it can be tied to or or sp- spoken about. So I was wondering if you could share any more about Atlantis, and then you were also speaking about this idea of, because we were speaking of, of a more Western history, um, but if you're familiar or anything you can speak of also about this part of the world, um, mm. because that's also, you know, if we're tracing things back to Atlantis, you know, I mean, it's very interesting even like the situation of it, which is between the kind of the East and the West, mm-hmm. between Europe and the Americas. That that same impulse, that same civilization, the same remnants, were were seeded here in this land, and and I think there there's so many you know remnants of them here too, and and maybe in a sense of of even a more unbroken lineage, which is why you're saying so many Westerners are coming here because there are people in the Amazon, in the Andes, who kind of. Uh, because of the isolation, weren't exposed to to some of these new ideas, and so they, and and it's not that they're pure, they're they're you know untouched, or they they they, they don't have bad ideas too, but but some of those seeds or impulses remained in a way that's maybe there, there's a firmness, there's a there's a tangibility that that still is connected to that to, to that lineage that you were speaking about. The, the thing that's coming up now on, on the two things that you brought up, like on, on like the first thing about um, being orphans uh, and also sharing more about Atlantis uh, is, the, is, the, is the unavoidable theme of black magic. Because what's happening to Westerners now is actually a very deliberate um, soul capture thing that's happening. It's very evil is that if you cut people off from their roots, you can capture their soul. If people don't know who they are, they can be captured and indoctrinated and enslaved. So there is an actual macrocosmic conspiracy to capture souls that that is happening in the world, and, and a prerequisite for that is cutting us off from our origins, from knowledge of who we are, knowledge of where we come from, knowledge of our ancestors, knowledge of any higher spiritual values, 
and then corrupting whatever spiritual guidance we're supposed to have. Like if you can corrupt Christianity, then people can't find any safety or protection in Christianity. And you give them this fake alternative, which is scientific materialism, which leads to atheism, which allows the soul to be captured. You can do whatever you want. There's no soul. There's no eternal soul. There's no karma. There's no reincarnation. You can do whatever you want. You don't need to tell the truth. You can screw people over just for your own gain. And this is a kind of... Um, because there is no truth. Because there is no <laughs> truth. Or, or, or truth is permanently uh, relative. relative. There's no... Uh, uh, and so that leads to a kind of uh, ripeness for souls to be captured. And that's what's happening. We're living in a time where there really is like harvesting of souls, capturing of souls, enslavement of souls. And a uh, very deliberate use of trauma to do black magic. And this gets back to the other question of Atlantis. And that, that I think, will bridge into the next question, because I'd love to get more into that. Okay. Because that, that's actually something I, I feel quite strongly and, and, and see more and more, too. But, yeah. So Atlantis fell because of black magic. Because the leaders, the spiritual leaders of Atlantis... First of all, Atlantis was a global civilization. Yes, I think that there was an actual, like, the capital of it was in the middle of the Atlantic. And where there's a, currently the, the Mid-Atlantic Ridge... If you look at the, the relief of the ocean floor, you see like, like stitches. Like if you look at the relief of the Atlantic floor, there's, a, there's a, a rift right down the middle. And it looks like the earth opened up, swallowed something, and then got like stitched up. It, it almost seems like there's like a, a stitches down the middle of the Atlantic floor. Rudolf Steiner says that, yeah, actually there was a continent that, that sank through like in, immense volcanic activity. It like literally, um, and it didn't take place like in one night. It took place over thousands. It took place over a long period of time. Like the flood, the, the flooding of Atlantis was not just like overnight thing. Timelines get distorted in the Bible. Like when they say 40 days, that, that does not mean literally 40 days, you know. Um, but at a certain point, because there are, there, are, there, are, there are spiritual beings that exist in the spiritual world. There are good ones and there are evil ones. So there exist actually evil divine beings. And we have a name in Western civilization for one particular evil divine being. We call him Satan. Rudolf Steiner had gave a new name to this being. He used the Zoroastrian uh, cosmology and called him Ariman. Ariman. Ariman is the spirit that inspired the Roman Empire to, like, take over the world, and, and then inspired the, the, um, the, the emperors to take over Christianity, and then inspired the Inquisition, and then inspired the genocide of, of the shamanic impulse. So in order to understand occult history, it's necessary to understand that there are actually higher beings that are very, very old, that are like emanations of the Creator that at a certain point rebelled and fell. And so we need to have a sort of cosmology as a starting point to understand history, that humanity is being influenced by divine beings, both good divine beings and, and evil, fallen divine beings. And at a certain point, the initiates of Atlantis, the leaders, because Atlantis was, was led by semi-divine humans, humans that had been getting initiated in the Atlantean mysteries, and in those times when you were initiated in the, into the Atlantean mysteries, there was less limits on the power that a human could have. So the, the human initiates back then were semi-divine, and they stood so far above the people that they were ruling 
they were like looked up to as gods amongst men, and they were they they refer they reference that in the Bible when they talk about these semi these god men that were the offspring of the of the god the the gods or the giants like impregnating the, the earthly women, and they gave rise to the men of renown. I call them in the Bible the men of renown. Uh, these are the leaders of Atlantis that were just standing so far above the people they were leading, and this figure that I call Ariman, this, 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 this great adversary, this great evil god, he started to corrupt the Atlantean mysteries themselves. He, he went right to the top and started to corrupt the leaders. And he taught the leaders black magic. Um, and so you have this kind of corruption of the leadership of the global civilization. It was a global civilization. So there's outposts everywhere. There was big, everywhere, like here in Peru, in Sacsayhuaman, in Ollantaytambo, you see that there was obviously a spiritual center here. But then you go to uh, the Great Pyramids of Giza, and you see the same uh, stonework, the exact same stonework. Uh, so there was like outposts all over the world. So I think, I believe that there was like a central continent where like the capital of this global civilization was like in the middle of the Atlantic. Um, but it was a global civilization. And so we're here in one of the spiritual centers of this, of this advanced civilization here in Peru. You have others in Egypt, you have, and you have various others around the world. Um, so the leadership got corrupted by an evil god and got corrupted by and was learned black magic and and then you have the entrance of like the abominations like how to use I don't even want to get into too many details it's even difficult to talk about but uh, when the leadership got corrupted that's when the civilization needed to be destroyed so you have in this remember I was talking about this figure of Manu He's represents in the storyline, he's like the initiate who stayed faithful, who didn't get corrupted. And so he was guided to like rescue the knowledge and plant it in a new world, and he was given the knowledge that the civilization would need to be destroyed. Um, but we are now living, right now, in a recapitulation of what happened then. We're, we're now living in, in what more and more is a global civilization, where the leaders have been corrupted by black magic and they now completely embrace it. And it's like the, it's like their modus operandi is black magic. And so back then the Manu figure was guided to the Himalayas and he took all of his, his, his students, let's say like the Rish, the Holy Rishis and the earlier incarnations of Zarathustra and Hermes Trismegistus and all these civilizational founders, so this idea, this theme, is it repeats itself where like the bodhisattvas and the preservers of human history and the preservers of human spiritual knowledge, they get guided to a refuge as the world is being prepared to be cleansed through catastrophe. They get guided to like the mountains and, and they, they, they kind of... Um, uh, how do you say, consolidate all the knowledge in the mountains while a catastrophe comes and like wipes the slate clean and then the seeds for the next cycle come from the mountains and like re, 
as you say, like repopulate the earth or like or replant uh, the, 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 the seeds of civilization. Because all the civilizations start from initiates. Civilizations are not started by a bunch of farmers. Civilizations are started by spiritual leaders that are illuminated and that have this knowledge of, of, of like um, the mysteries. That's the kind of seed of all these civilizations. Um, so I think that here in Peru is a, is a very powerful place to be right now because I don't think that, I think that in the past cycle, the Himalayas was where the spiritual knowledge was preserved. I think in this cycle, the spiritual knowledge is being preserved in the Andes. And so a lot of um, people that have this bodhisattvic calling to serve and be like, um, you say like warriors for humanity's spiritual evolution and protectors and preservers and consolidators and evolution evolutionizers, they're all kind of finding this mysterious calling to the Andes. And they're just kind of coming here from all over the world. They're coming here because I think that there's this bodhisattvic impulse that's happening here and something special is happening in the Andes uh, because we're at this kind of recapitulation of like what happened with Atlantis. The leadership has become totally corrupted by black magic and the catastrophes are necessary. It's a global shamanic initiation. You know, so remember I said in Europe, like with the Dark Ages, with like the, 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 the really dark medieval period where there was like the Black Plague and the Roman Church was so evil and it was genociding all of the, the spiritual impulses. And that was like this demonic dismemberment before the Renaissance. That was like um, a, a cultural epoch of like a shamanic initiation. These are global shamanic initiations where like the whole global civilization is being dismembered and then there's like a, a shamanic rebirth that's being planned. So I feel that the people that find their way here are, are, are unconsciously or in some cases consciously being guided to this global um, shamanic initiation that's happening. It, it, it's interesting because um... I mean, I, I think it was according to, to Plato or, or via Solon that it, it kind of, as you were saying, that, that Atlantis fell. You use the term like black magic, or, or I think he was speaking about like they'd become corrupted. Pride. Yeah, and, and arrogance. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and, and it's interesting. I mean, it's an interesting parallel because, you know, it seems like more and more, you know, we, we can actually say that we are living in a global civilization, as you said, much like Atlantis. Mm -hmm. um, and it's something, you know, e even when I was younger, like in university, it was something that was very much promoted, like globalism. globalism. It's such a good thing. Yeah. Um, you know, and there's all these justifications and international organizations mm -hmm. that are really fighting for the good of humanity mm -hmm. and bringing yeah. people together. And I found it very interesting because in in the beginning of your your web series, which you know, like I was saying, I haven't gotten through all of it, but but from what I have is, <laughs> well, I, I I love that. I mean, you know, this is a, a long form podcast, so. Yeah. Um, oh, cool. But you know, right in the beginning, and it could it could I mean I'll I'll let you answer that. It it could just be the the timing of when you started it, but it was very interesting because you you kind of invoked this idea in the very beginning that in, in March of 2020, it was kind of this 
this uh, I think you you use this 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 phrase of like we're living in a in a time of sorcery and deception and and I think it's it's a very you know it's a very astute and interesting perception because I I think that was for many people you know there was something of a waking up mm-hmm. for a lot of people not that there was in kind of shamanic terms or, or entheogenic terms, it just furthered the, the mariación, the dizziness of life. Mm-hmm. Um, but for some people, I think it also showed like, huh, like something isn't right. Mm-hmm. Like there's this entire worldwide response mm-hmm. that, that's very specific, that's very calculated, mm-hmm. that's not following truth, that's not following compassion or, or you know, science. Um, and it was something that was very apparent to me. And I think that's where this, this idea of like black magic or sorcery mm-hmm. comes in. It's almost like there is a spell that's mm-hmm. being cast. And, and, you know, one of the things that with a spell is that, you know, even like in the English language, we say like, we, we fall under a spell. It's like this force that, that comes and clouds our vision. It's, it's, you know, and it's like this Maya or, uh, even in Christianity, they talk about these ideas of, of apocalypse. It's, it's not the end of the world. It, it's the end of, of, of the veil because it's this idea that, that we, we have this cloud. Our vision is clouded. Um, and it seems like, you know, that it's a very interesting time that we are emerging into, which is where there is, as you were kind of alluding to, this very powerful... You know, and, and this word is probably going to be triggering for people, but this black magic, this sorcery, yeah. this spell. And it's very difficult when anyone is under the, the influence of a spell. You don't know that you're under the spell. And, and, and you know, kind of as you were saying with, with these archetypes of, of like Satan, is then you become the worker of that spell. Mm-hmm. You become the, the proponent of it. You become the, the henchman, mm-hmm. uh, you know, in kind of more modern terms of, of, of certain political things that they would say the useful idiot, the, the, the person who's calling in the destruction, but thinking that they're actually like mm-hmm. a warrior of light, mm-hmm. but, but they don't know because they're under the spell. So, you know, I know this is a big question, but, but you know, I, I thought it was interesting, again, because in the beginning of that, the, the web series, you, you kind of allude to that. Mm-hmm. And it's also interesting that this parallel of, as you were saying, like Atlantis being a global civilization, and yet there's always that, that impulse of, of when things become too condensed or too unified, something is ripe to, to break, to split, to, to be corrupted. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, maybe just to, to take whatever comes up from that. Uh, but because, you know, it, it does seem like, like, again, for that, that it in kind of recorded history, I mean, that's the first time that such a worldwide response, a unilateral response has been almost like welcomed, you know, welcomed. That, that was the other thing that was very fascinating to me that there wasn't more of a resistance. There was almost like a, like, now I can be ruled. Now I can be told what to do. Now I can uh, be comforted 
to be said, well, this is what's right, this is what's wrong, this is what's good, this is what's bad, this is how I can live my life, and this is how everyone else should live their life. Which for me, you know, are things that, that have been boiling for a long time. I mean, I, you know, and I think it's something maybe we can get into more, but but you mentioned this ideas of, of, of academia, of, of kind of scientific materialism. I mean, these are ideas that have been brewing for a long time, and, and I think what's happened wouldn't and couldn't have happened had those seeds not been there, you know, because it is, it is a long chain of what you were speaking about of things building to, to this event. Um, there's some resistance for people to think in this way, for people to think of evil as, uh, the collective projected shadow of our unconscious or something like that. That is inadequate paradigm to understand the world we're living in. It's necessary for people to understand that that there are. This is where like a shamanic worldview is necessary. That we're living in a world, humans are uh, being fought over by divine beings that that have powers that we can scarcely fathom. Uh, we're being fought over by good and evil divine beings, and once you understand human history. And you understand the role that this adversarial archetypal figure, the archetypal devil, the archetypal evil opponent of all that is good, um, has been influencing humanity with a, with a long-term plan. Once you start to entertain that possibility, I'm not saying you need to like believe that like a dogma, but try it on for size and see what kind of insight it yields. Because we cannot live effectively in the world today until we understand how to defend ourselves against black magic, until we understand how to spot it and understand how the science of it and how the techniques of it and how it's being used against us. This is necessary for people to be to excel, to, to, to know how to really thrive in the world we're living in and not to be enslaved. Um, so, like, you, what you said, it was really um, spot on about the seeds being planted. Uh, the, in, in the third of the four-part the four part webinar series that I, that I, it's actually publicly available, um, I trace the lineage not just of, like, the good, the good wisdom from Atlantis through, like, the golden chain, the golden chain of Hermes, like, Atlantis to Greek to da-da-da-da-da. I also trace the evolution of this anti Christic impulse, this anti-spiritual impulse from Rome and like from the, 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 the Catholic Church uh, into secret societies and scientific materialism. And when you trace that and learn that occult history, you can see seeds being planted in one century to be harvested in the next century. So we're actually dealing with an influence on, on the human race that thinks in terms of centuries and that plans in terms of centuries. And there are certain techniques that I, that I, that I teach like about how this, how this evil, this inverted alchemy works. I, I teach about alchemy. I do alchemy, I teach about alchemy, spiritual alchemy. And there's, there's an inversion of it that you could call like black magic alchemy or satanic alchemy or something like that. It uses the same principles, but in an inverted way. And you can see this macrocosmic evil alchemy being like sub, sub, being subjected to the human race over like centuries. 
And you can see how things are just have been set up like masterfully, like we're living in some sort of like evil masterpiece, you know. And so, so, you know, the basic principle is strategic traumatization. Strategic traumatization with a, with a, with a bone chilling precision. Like if you split the soul, because trauma splits the astral body. Trauma is a violence on the astral body, which is a higher, our soul body, our soul. If you, if you strategically and surgically traumatize the astral body, you've split it. And then the, the part that gets split off can be inhabited, can be a spirit, can be inserted, and then it can be controlled. And, um, and so through strategic traumatization, outcomes can be predicted you can control how people are going to respond and you can so you can give them the fake solution so a strategic traumatization followed by a deceptive solution to the trauma and 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 through this way humans as a as a macro at a macrocosmic level can be manipulated and guided in a certain direction you know so like um Scientific materialism was, seeds for scientific materialism was set up through Roman churchianity. I don't like to call it Christianity because it's not actually true Christianity, it's, it's churchianity. Uh, Roman churchianity set this, laid the foundation for scientific materialism because it cut people off from gnosis. Once you cut people off from gnosis, they're ripe to become atheists. You know, so scientific materialism was the fruits of, of Roman churchianity. Um, but that like lays, that like lays, there's so many seeds planted. I'm just going to like go speak about the seeds leading up to the, the giant spell of the pandemic, right? Um, Would you say that's why th th there was such a persecution of, of the the entheogenic medicines or 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 practices because yeah. i mean that that's the idea of gnosis exactly. is it's a direct exactly. connection yeah so and when they can't be directly stopped they can be harnessed you know so like the christian impulse the impulse brought by the christ figure uh was something that had real power that that was the the first response the first sort of like era what steiner calls Era, era, Ariman. So I, I like to use the. I'm like a nerd, a Steiner nerd, right? So I like to use the adjective Arimanic, like or, like the or satanic or Arimanic uh, impulse was initially to, to murder, the Christians, to like throw them in the arena and let them get ripped apart by lions or whatever, burn them, burn them on the streets of Rome, like Roman candle, is a Christian tied to a pole in the streets of Rome and burnt, a, burnt on a pole. These are Roman candles. Right? Like, um, but that only made the impulse grow stronger. So there's an actual strategy from an evil god to, and people have difficulty with this. They're still not even, the, even people on a shamanic path, they can entertain, yeah, there's nature spirits, or yeah, there's nature spirits, um, but they, they still have difficulty understanding that there's like a, a huge evil divine being that is like uh, influence, that's been influencing humanity since Atlantis. You know, um, but without this, without being able to entertain this possibility, people are not going to be able to discern what's happening in the world right now. Um, so I just invite people to try it on for size and see if it yields insight 
to see if this paradigm like actually helps them understand the world they're living in in the manifested truth that's in front of their face to help them understand what they're seeing with their own eyes like with the pandemic for example um so uh kind of lost my thread there Ooh, setting planting seeds seeds for the pandemic well Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, like taking, okay, so like, so the strategy is to like actually invade the host. The, 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 these, these forces, these anti-spiritual forces, they actually operate like a kind of spiritual virus. They invade the host and then they destroy the, okay, you know, you know what they, you learn in school? I mean, there's controversy about how viruses work, if viruses are really real or uh, during the pandemic, I got some. I, I heard some things about like the paradigm of even virology is completely false. I, I can't comment on that. But what I learned in school was this mechanism of how viruses work. They're like a fragmented piece of DNA, you know. So you can think of like you know a piece of God, but like a fragmented piece of God, like um, that invades through violation that violates a cell that injects its fragmented DNA into a cell and corrupts that cell and turns that cell into a factory that manufactures more of that same virus. And then it explodes the cell and creates a multiplication of itself and then goes around and, and rapidly exponentially spreads. Right? Imagine that there is like a, a spiritual impulse, a spiritual being archetype, a spiritual archetypal being that works in that way, that through trauma, violates a cell and turns that cell into a manufacturer of its own image and then multiplies itself and then s continues to spread that, that impulse. That's what happened with Christianity. You had this viral impulse violate through trauma. The initial 200, 300 years of, of Christianity was, was being persecuted. That set the stage, that planted the seed for the corruption of it. Because, you know, if you look at the history, it's real. Like 31 out of the first 33 popes were murdered, were martyred. The bishops of the early bishops of Christianity, they lived this existence of persecution. So that set the stage for the trauma that, that made them uh, vulnerable to making a deal with the devil. So then, like, Constantine, the emperor of the Roman Empire at its height, like, um, gets a vision, you know, like, ooh, like a vision. And, and, uh, and like, the, 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 the churchians want to say that, oh, this vision was sent from God, you know, to be a great protector of Christianity. But if you look with more discernment, you could actually see, no, this was actually, like, a diabolical um, um, plan that was beginning to unfold. He gets a vision to actually embrace Christianity. And so he makes a deal with the bishops. He says, I will legalize your religion, but here's the catch. I will protect your religion, but here's, and I will actually empower you. Because at the time the bishops were fighting against heresies, against Gnostic heresies. They were like, they were fighting persecution on the one hand, and within their own ranks they were fighting like dogma debates about like what the real dogma of, of Christ is and so on. So 
the, the, the most powerful man in the world extends a hand to them and says, I will be your protector and I will empower you to build your church and make it strong. But here's the catch. You need to define your dogma very specifically so that we can discern what is truth and what is heresy. And this created this concept of heresy. And he even said, he gave this kind of Aramanic power and said, and those who are heretics, I will murder for you. Don't worry, your hands will be clean, but I'll, I'll take care of it for you. Deal? And they went for it. And you can have compassion for that, because imagine what it's like to be genocidally persecuted for 300 years. To feel that the devil is like relentlessly torturing and, and wiping out your faith, right? And then the most powerful man in the world suddenly offers to be your protector. How could that not seem like an act of God? How can that not seem like finally God has heard our prayers? We've been praying for deliverance for so long and like finally our time has come. Let's celebrate. Yeah, but he has some stipulations. Yeah, but it's, it's okay. Don't worry about it. Like this is our chance. And so there, this unholy alliance was formed between the, the, uh, the, uh, the Roman Emperor Constantine and the leaders of the, of the Christian church. And they formed, they had the first council of Nicaea where they like were formulating their dogma, and this rigidified the concept of heresy. And the area, there was a heresy called Arianism at the time, and that was the main subject of the First Council. And this was the beginning of the corruption and the invasion of the Christian church through this anti-spiritual, you could call it a satanic impulse. And then all these councils, over hundreds of years, all these councils to, to, to define a dogma, and all these impulses of persecuting heresy. And uh, so what, what, what this arimanic impulse does is it invades, it, 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 it invades through trauma, and then it turns, it corrupts the host and turns it into a counterfeit version of itself, a version that has no soul or no spirit, you could say. Like it, it eviscerates the living gnosis from it and creates this kind of zombie version of it, like like invasion of the body snatchers or something. Like it it it, it, it creates a, 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 a it eviscerates the spirit from it and then it multiplies that 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 eviscerated spirit. It, it multiplies this counterfeit spirit and it forces it on everybody. It acts kind of like a perverted vaccine. Like if you think about what a vaccine is, a vaccine, like they take the, the active ingredient out of it. In the case of like path, pathogens, apparently you're taking like the harmful thing out of it. And you're, and you're creating like something that stimulates an immune response. And you get to like earn immunity without having to go through the actual karma of, of dealing with the, with the disease. It's kind of like a cheat. Um, the same thing happened, but in a negative inverted sense with Christianity. It was, it, was, it was violated through trauma and persecution. And then, and then it was ripe to be impregnated by this counterfeiting spirit that took the Christian gnosis out of Christianity and took the living spirit out of it. And then, multi and then that was the foundation of the church. And then they multiplied it and enforced it and persecuted anybody that said otherwise. 
And uh, so the whole world now, through churchianity, which people call Christianity, but they should really call it churchianity, has been vaccinated against true Christian gnosis. Because they hear the word Christ and they associate it with, like it's talking about trigger word, Christ. Like people like Jesus Christ. They hear that and like, especially people on a shamanic path, they get triggered by that. Because for centuries, the so-called Christian church has been relentlessly exterminating and persecuting the shamanic impulse. And a lot of these people that are, are on a shamanic path in this lifetime were on a shamanic path in, li- path in past lifetimes and may have even been persecuted by like the Inquisition or by like so-called Christians or what have you. Um, so, so the whole world has been like inoculated against Christian Gnosis. And that's a setup for another thing. So now we're living in a, in a psychedelic renaissance. And people are feeling a call to psychedelics, but they don't want anything to do with Christianity. So they go into this kind of like pagan shamanism. But there's, there's, a, there's a traps already laid in that as well. There's not protection against sorcery. I uh, see, remember early on in, 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 the, in the podcast, I told you a bit about my story about how like I got into like self-initiation work and I, and, I, and I started to fall into sorcery. The Santo Daimi saved me from that because the Santo Daimi brings, uh, like restores this Christic impulse into alchemy and into shamanism and into initiation. Um, it kind of restores what was eviscerated by, by, the, by the Roman impulse. Um, that's what saved me from the trap that I had fallen into about rejecting Christianity and going into like full-on pagan shamanism and then getting influenced by demons. You know, I was getting influenced by demons. I didn't realize it at the time, but I was becoming demonic as I thought I was becoming a shaman. You know, I was actually becoming a dark shaman. And uh, that was a trap that's also been laid to hijack the shamanic renaissance that we're living in right now. So you're going to find a lot of people, a lot of gringos that are like studying ayahuasca, they're even studying with Shipibo maestros, and they're falling into corruption. They're falling into, they're getting infiltrated by demons. And they're serving medicine, and there's all sorts of uh, subtle levels of, of spiritual vampirism going on. There's sexual violation going on. There's, there's all these spirits that are feeding off of these self-initiated gringo shamans or um, gringos that are being initiated by maestros who are themselves touched by, uh, infiltrated by darkness. So this is another, yet another way that seeds have been planted for corruption. And if you don't know the history of Western civilization, if you don't see how this has been happening over and over and over again, and every time there's a solution to the evil, the evil finds a way to come in and try to corrupt the solution. Uh, if we don't have this education about how this has happened for centuries, all throughout Western civilization, we don't get the discernment. We lack the discernment, and we're going to be uh, vulnerable to even... So, so I think that entheogens are a God-sent solution for the problem, where well, the problem is we've lost connection with our divine self. We've lost connection with our divine origins. We've lost connection with our, our ancestors. We've, lost, we've been made orphans. This has made us ripe for, for being abducted, for being enslaved. 
entheogens are the solution. God sent solution for us to reconnect with what's been lost, but even that solution is being set up. And uh, this is something we need elders to help us uh, navigate. So elders in, like Westerners need Western elders, but they don't really exist so much. So this is something I'm trying to be like a, a kind of bridge for Westerners to, to cultivate this kind of historical education, and this historical knowledge, so that they can get this crucial bit of discernment, because we're living in this age of deception. Like I opened that webinar talking about like, yeah, try to set the tone that we're living in an age of black magic and sorcery, where we're being subjected to constant spells. And the origin of black magic is lying. The lie. Lying is like a murder in the spiritual world. Like lying is like disconnecting your connection to God. Because God is truth. As soon as you lie, you really sever your connection. The black like the first act of black magic was to tell a lie. The second was to murder. You know, murder and lying as the origin of black magic. And uh we're in this age of deception where there's like the most sophisticated lies, like and all flavor of lies. There's complete bald-faced lies, and then there's subtle lies where it's like truth mixed with lies. You know, and like the kind of discernment that people need to cultivate today is not just discernment about the conspiracy and the Illuminati and the evil secret societies who are the globalists and the ultra elite that are trying to, and the transhumanists. That's that whole, like, I get my arm out for emphasis. That whole, that's whole a wing of deception that's obvious. It should be obvious. It's not obvious enough. People don't realize, like, how satanic the, the the pandemic is, how deliberate it was. I don't I don't know if this I don't know if the, who listens, but like I feel it's, it should be obvious that um, it's an evil lie, uh, that it was deliberate, that it, it's a soul capture, that there's all sorts of transhumanist plans, that the human race is being bifurcated into like angels and Satan slaves. Like there's a real bifurcation happening that we can really see at the pandemic really clearly. It was like a sword that cut right down the middle. Those who are becoming henchmen of the devil that are becoming slaves, that are being enslaved. And the vaccine is like a tool of enslavement and the people that are fighting it. But that's one split. But the people that are fighting it have a real subtle battle ahead of them about spiritual discernment. And this is where we get into the new age deception because the new age spirituality is cut off from this lineage that I was telling you about. It's channeled knowledge. It's, 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 it's like mediums that are, that are talking to St. Germain and that are like channeling ascended masters teachings that are bullshit. They're actually like a, a, a very, very subtle distortion of this unbroken lineage I'm talking about, this Rosicrucian lineage, a very subtle distortion. But because we don't have elders and, and we're not connected, consciously connected to an unbroken chain, we can be led astray by false spiritual teachings. Not anti-spiritual teachings like materialism, false spiritual teachings. And we don't have the discernment to tell the difference between the real Saint Germain 
and the and and a spirit that is pretending to be Saint Germain that is giving like ninety nine percent truth, one percent evil deception, where that one percent evil deception has this way of disconnecting people from the truth. And once you're disconnected from the truth, you go into a false spiritual world and you're ensnared and you're hooked into sorcery without even realizing it. So there's a whole other realm in, in, the, in the people that are like using entheogens, that are on a very conscious and noble spiritual path, that are being uh, awakened as modern Western shamans, uh, and that are being um, ensnared in an incredibly subtle way as well. So there's like deception on two sides. There's like, you know, and uh, the solution is the connection to lineage, you know, because it's the elders that have the highest levels of discernment that can give us keys of discernment so that we don't get deceived. So we're here living in this age of deception and in, in ev from every angle. And uh, it's, it's, it's difficult to know well, I mean, in some ways it's difficult to know the truth. In other ways, like, we really just have to rely on this intuitive feeling of, like, what, what the truth is. Like, we have to just really feel it inside ourselves. So hopefully people listening to me talk right now are, like, resonating with what I'm saying because it's actually, like, it's, it's striking a chord in them, you know. And um, that's, you know... You know, so many people are claiming to be spiritual authorities, like, and they've received their authority from some channeled ascended master or something like that. And um, it's really hard to tell the difference. Like, you know, the ascended master's teachings, you know what this, like, um, the, the, these trace their origin back to, like, St. Germain. Right? St. Germain appeared to Guy Ballard on Mount Shasta or something like that and started dictating this, uh, these teachings and they're really powerful and people read them and they're like, whoa, they feel it in them. And, um, they start making these affirmations and they feel the power of these affirmations. And because they're powerful, because they appear to work, they think that it's therefore true. But what people don't understand about magic is that magic can still be untrue and powerful. That's black magic is based on deception, but it's powerful. And there's subtle black magic that, that, is, that is very insidious and present in things like the Ascended Master's teachings. And then also transmissions about like, um, for example, Mary Magdalene. There's a, a channeled book like the Magdalene Manuscript. And I hear people talk about like, oh yeah, Mary Magdalene was the lover of Jesus and they had a child, Sarakali, and and they speak about it like it's like it's like taken for granted that it's given. And I ask them, I'm like, how do you know that? Like, where's that knowledge coming from? And it's like, oh, it's just what everybody says. Um, and it's like, that's like yet another, like the Ascended Master's teachings, the St. Germain, uh, the I Am Foundation and the St. Germain teachings. These are like really good examples of very subtle deceptions that have been given to the spiritually awakening generation in order to like throw them off, throw them off the scent, throw them slightly off in very, very, very subtle ways. So people like recognized like the level of deception that we're living in 
they would be a little more humble about like, you know, about like the whole concept of self-initiation. Self-initiation is a trap. But who do we go to? Who do we go to? Like for, like what are our options? We don't have a lot of options. We've been set up. We've been set up. Like we, first we were deprived of elders. Our elders were burned at the stake, you know? And then, and now we're receiving this God-given awakening, this spiritual, global spiritual awakening, but the spiritual awakening has been set up too. Yeah, so one of the, you know, you were speaking about this idea of truth, and um, I've mentioned this a number of times in this podcast, uh, but it was this idea that was actually introduced to me by by a good friend of mine. His name is uh, Brian Best, and he's he's lived amongst the Shipibo for a long time. He's married to a Shipibo woman, and one of his passions is actually, you know, studying language, and, and specifically the Shipibo language. And he was talking about this idea of, of truth, um, and it's this idea in Shipibo, it's uh, hakun, which means good. Um, but he was saying etymologically, uh, on a more fundamental level than just good, is it means truth, because that which is good is that which is true. Mm-hmm. And in an even deeper level, when you look at it, 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 what it actually points to is this idea of something that's life-giving. Mm-hmm. Uh, it gives life, it supports life, it flows with life. Mm-hmm. That which is hakunmu, that which is not good, is that which is not true. It's mm-hmm. false, it's a lie. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, it's not life-giving. It's, it's going against the, the life-giving impulse of, of, of the Creator. Mm-hmm. Um, and, it, you know, speaking about the pandemic, I, I mean, I think that's, that was one of the things that, that I saw very early on was, you know, what is life-giving and, and this idea of isolating people, of, of not being able to see your grandmother who's dying because you're somehow a threat to her, mm-hmm. uh, keeping people apart, uh, dictating how someone can live their life, yeah, being masked, not being able to see people. I mean, even this idea, you know, breath, you know what I mean? And, and that's a bit where like this kind of evil nature comes in. The, the idea that to breathe in, to breathe out, to, to respirar. Spreading death. Is spread, yeah, the, the very nature of who you are, yeah. to be filled with spirit mm-hmm. is, is somehow a threat to people. It's it's quite demonic in it's a way. So evil genius. It's like genius. You have to admire it to a certain mm-hmm. extent. Like uh, respect your enemy. Like wow, well done, guys. Like not well, not good, but like I gotta hand it to you. Like you guys are geniuses. Mm-hmm. And one of the interesting things, you, you know, you brought up this idea of, of elders, and 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 also this idea of trying on like a worldview, like a shamanic worldview, and. I think that's something that, that that's very important. Um, you know, I, I worked in this ayahuasca center for for many years, and and kind of my role was was a facilitator, and even that word etymologically, like it means to make easy. easy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and it, it also has this idea of of what you're talking about, which was like a bridge builder. Mm-hmm. 
someone to to not only translate language but worldviews. Mm-hmm. And it was something that I saw was very difficult for many Western people coming mm-hmm. because they they often came with, as you describe, this kind of new agey way of of looking at the world, which. You know, I don't think it's necessarily bad, but it's limited. It's a very limited worldview, and so it's it was often very difficult because when you're when you're speaking to you know in this case like the Shibo people, they're coming from a very shamanic worldview, and they're speaking of light and darkness mm-hmm. and and good spirits and bad spirits. Mm-hmm. They're speaking of demons. You know, mm-hmm. they would often tell people like you're 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 you have a demon inside you. How do you translate that to someone coming from a Western world? You know, one one could argue, well, you don't translate, you have a demon in you, because that's going to take them down a whole rabbit hole. On the other hand, you can argue, well, maybe you should, because that's also going to shake their worldview. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, as you were saying, from the shamanic worldview, there, there is very much these ideas of good and evil, mm-hmm. of light and dark. Mm-hmm. And and I don't think any, you know, indigenous shamanic practice, practitioner is looking at a worldview with anything outside of that. They recognize that there are good forces in the world, that there are evil forces. Mm-hmm. And a big part of their work is trying to call upon these good forces mm-hmm. to battle the, the dark forces. Mm-hmm. And and so it's a worldview that's very much recognizing that. Even in illness, there's a recognition that there are dark entities, dark forces that can contribute to that separation, to that mediation, to that because you know to be sick means to to have a disease it means to not be at ease which mm-hmm. which is this idea of wholeness it means we're somehow split mm-hmm. as you're speaking about this idea of trauma we become there's a part of our soul that's that's missing that's mm-hmm. that's not that's not a wholeness um so I, I think that shamanic worldview is is actually something very important and you know you're speaking about this idea of having elders and and also bridge building and 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 I think that is such a such an important thing uh, to have people who who in a Western context actually can understand this maybe more shamanic point of view, but who can also translate it in a way to to a way that people can understand. Um, so I'd, I'd like to get maybe a bit more in, into that kind of role, but. But maybe just first, if you can speak maybe from your experience a bit more about what that shamanic worldview entails, because, you know, it's something you speak about a lot in your 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 work and the, the web series I was listening to. And even as you were mentioning earlier in this podcast, like um, um, the, the the book on uh, shamanism, was it Mircea Liagia, I think yep. was his name, um, you know, this idea of these archetypal um ideas that you find all over the world about like who a shaman is mm-hmm. um you know even that word as you said it's a siberian word it means to know which mm-hmm. is very interesting because even like the sacrament of 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 which many people are working with is they don't call it ayahuasca they call it uni which is gnosis knowledge you know really? truth yeah know. Okay. yeah, um, yeah. yeah. Uh. so you know, th- there seems to be these very commonalities, and one of those things that that I think you 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 really talk very well about is this idea of of leaving society. You know, that that we have to somehow leave our comfort zone. It's often like the the archetypal hero's journey is mm-hmm. is leaving our society, being being excommunicated, whether it's through illness or death or realizing that we're not fitting in, something isn't right, and then going on this journey, going on this often initiatory experience, which which often 
that there's some idea around death, that, that we have to die. We have to die to who we were, to be reborn. I mean, it's very much the, the, the Christ story as well. And then the, this, this final stage, which I think is very fascinating, that, that I think maybe more people are coming around to, myself included, which is actually then re-entering society, yeah. <laughs> which yeah. is such a fundamental part of that shamanic journey yeah. because, you know, the shaman isn't, in the woods by himself yeah, because then he service. serves no purpose yeah, like he has to yeah. go back out into his community and and also this very important thing of going back out into his community or her community mm-hmm. this idea of being that bridge keeper that the one who can take knowledge from these other realms mm-hmm. and 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 share it mm-hmm. to to make better i mean that's the whole idea of evolution right is to to evolve to to help his society to evolve which, which is a you know a, a fundamental part of that journey. So, I wonder if you can just talk maybe a bit more about um, you know because I I think everyone listening to this has some idea of shamanism, but but there's many different ways that that can be looked at, and and I think sometimes you know I often hear like even people say, well, you shouldn't call like uh, I don't know a Wachuma practi- practitioner a shaman, or yeah. you shouldn't call a Shipibo. But it's just semantics, you know, and people get lost and they forget about the truth, you know, the, the commonality that all of these things are pointing towards. Well, I consider shamanism, I've always considered it an archetypal phenomenon. And when I say shamanism, I'm not talking about what they practice in Mongolia. I'm, I'm talking about this, this archetypal structure. And a lot of my courses are based around um, people learning this linguistic and conceptual framework of, of um, you know, being a kind of uh, modern... Sh- I, I don't use the word shaman, I use the word shamanic individual. Shamanic individual is somebody that's been initiated. And the, the type of initiation that people go through, the type of shamanic initiation that people go through is, 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 is manifold and various. There's many different types of ways to be a shamanic individual. I've even created a workbook for my school that breaks the shamanic archetype down into 25 different facets. And the, the workbook, take, it's the first course, it's the first course in my school. It's called the Shamanic Archetype Workshop. They go through this workbook and they, they kind of score themselves on each of these 25 facets. And then the workbook guides them through this process of seeing how these 25 facets of the shamanic archetype are working together in a kind of mandala to like um, to inspire the unique way that they are manifesting the shamanic archetype, the unique way that they are uh, being a, sh- a modern Western shamanic individual, and this has been good medicine for people to encounter this paradigm, because like it's how I felt when I discovered the word shaman. I'm like, that's oh okay that's the thing that's what it is like and it ennobled it it like took it out of the western psychiatric pathological um uh, paradigm and it gave it a purpose it gave me like an inspiring purpose so the mercea Eliot book um looks at archetypal structure of shamanic initiation and he like basically found that it's the same initiation structure in every culture with variations. It's the same structure. 
And Joseph Campbell discovered the same thing when he studied world mythology and found the monomyth, the hero's journey. It's the, 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 the hero's journey of, of mythology is the shamanic initiation story. It's the same story. You, you depart, you die to cross over into the other world. You get initiated into the other world. You receive the boon, and then you come back and you return to share the boon. Um, the boon is basically, you know, in the shamanic paradigm, it's the soul that's been missing. Like the archetypal shamanic operation is soul retrieval. And so the patient has lost the soul. The shaman goes into the spirit world, gets the soul and returns the soul back to the patient. That's the kind of traditional shamanic operation. Um, the hero is like a cultural shaman. The hero is the one that recognizes that there is a soul loss at the cultural level goes into the spirit world, retrieves the cultural soul, and returns the cultural soul to the culture. This is what Carl Jung did. Carl Jung is, is a hero. He's a cultural shaman. He recognized that, that he saved psychoanalysis from materialism. Sigmund Freud had, was a total atheist and, and uh, was diving into the unconscious, which is the first realm of the spirit world that we can access. In occultism, we call it the lower astral. That's the unconscious. That's where the psychoanalyst is supposed to take the patient into their own astral body. That was like devoid of a shamanic spiritual view and, 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 and Jung gave psychoanalysis an inherently spiritual shamanic foundation. But he also rescued the, the, the soul of, psycho, of psychology, which is alchemy. Alchemy were, the alchemists were the first psychologists. You know, they were like uh, working on transmuting the psyche. They were working on illuminating the psyche, on healing the psyche. The subject of their work was the astral body. The astral body is the psyche. What we call psychology, what we call the psyche, is in uh, occultists called the astral body, the soul. Uh, so Jung did this kind of um, rescuing uh, for for the field of psychology and even in a, in, a, in a more grand sense for Western civilization. But the story still remains the same. The shaman is the one who suffers very acutely the loss, the illness, that's, in, that's basically still affecting the whole tribe, the whole culture. But the shamanic, the one called to be the shaman in that culture is the one who suffers it really acutely because they're more sensitive. They suffer it really acutely, and they go on a journey to retrieve what's missing, and then they bring it back to share. And that's what makes the shaman of a culture. So each culture has specific conditions where, let's say, there's a culture that's affected by black magic really badly, and it's, 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 it's destroying the culture. In that case, the shamanic individual of that culture will be the one that gets badly attacked by black magic, goes on a journey to find how to deal with that, finds what they're looking for, comes back and spreads that, and starts working to defend against black magic or, or transmute it. Um, in, in a Hollywood movie, it's like the magic sword that's needed to defend against the evil dragon, and the hero goes and finds the sword, brings it back and uses the sword to, to defeat the evil or whatever. Uh, but we can be really... Um, targeted and precise as Westerners if we understand what our wound is as Westerners. 
And we do have a very specific wound that we understand when we study Western occult history. Our specific wound is, 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 is wrapped up in the history of Christianity, churchianity, and what happened with the shamanic impulse. It started with the Druids, when the, when the Romans came into Britannia and wiped out the Druids. You know, like there's this persistent persecution of the shamanic impulse, of our connection to nature, of our connection to the goddess, of our connection to the spirit world, of our connection to the creator, of our connection to our own divine essence. That has been attacked. And so the, basically, like the essence of the Western shamanic initiation is to retrieve that. But it gets even more specific. Like um, we have been, our history has been attacked. So I'm trying to do a shamanic function by retrieving our sacred history because that's been taken from us and concealed and corrupted and it's been replaced with deceptive lies and stuff like that. People thinking that the, that the Da Vinci Code is like history, for example, like, you know, it's just a fiction. Um, like, so I'm trying to do that as a, as a, and that's a way that I'm manifesting the shamanic archetype in a, in a unique way in a way that's specific to my trauma. Because my trauma started with not knowing who I am, not knowing where I come from, and not knowing like what my purpose is. So my initiation was about discovering all of that. So it's all, the, the initiation is the same pattern, but the specifics of it are always concealed in what the trauma is. So some Westerners, um, due to growing up, we, we've inherited like all the soul loss. So most of us have grown up with parents who are suffering soul loss, who are suffering trauma, who are, and, and, and that's manifest through addiction or like abusive patterns or so many people have been like abused or traumatized or sexually traumatized. And depending on what the trauma is, that's where the, the, the specificity of their shamanic function is hiding. Is, is, is there. So if somebody was a, a drug addict, their shamanic initiation is healing themselves from the drug addiction and their shamanic service is doing soul rescue, soul retrieval work for drug addicts. If somebody was sexually violated as a child, they, 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 they have to do a soul retrieval on that, heal that, and then their shamanic function is to help others do soul retrieval work for those sorts of people. Um, so it, but in all cases, it's the exact same pattern and the pattern always begins with ill, with a confrontation with illness, evil, trauma, and death, you know, so for, for shaman and, or for, for loss, something is taken, something is wronged. There's an original crime. There's an original snake bite, you know, and, um, this gets into the inescapability of like shamanic initiation and the reality of evil and the problem of evil. Like, and, and, and evil introduces death and suffering into the world, right? And, uh, I mean, cosmologically, like we, this gets back to this idea of a fall. Like there was some sort of fall originally. There was some sort of original fragmentation or original wound or original trauma. And we have in Judeo-Christianity the, the, the story of Eden and the serpent and the tempting and the banishment, expul expulsion from paradise. Um, and I'm not familiar with, with, with indigenous cosmologies, but there's got to be some sort of moment where, where humanity lost a connection to the creator 
and fell in some regard, or a moment when evil entered into the world. Now, like, so, so duality is inseparable, I think, from, from shamanism. Like, any, anybody who claims to be a shaman but denies the reality of evil is not the kind of shaman that's going to be of much use to their culture, because the reality is our culture is being, is being violated all the time by evil. And, um, you know, oh, evil's an illusion, or evil's just the absence of light. Like, try telling a shaman who deals with demons on a regular basis that evil is just the absence of light. There's, there, it's more complicated than that. There's actually a will. There's such a thing as evil will. It's not just the absence of something. There's something there that is antagonistic to life, that's antagonistic to, to love, that's antagonistic to truth, that's antagonistic to, to humans, humanity's uh, spiritual evolution that wants to corrupt. So we need to like have a way of dealing with that and we don't really have like, like I, think, I think that we're at a threshold of evolution about how to deal with evil. I don't think the answer is like found in like the exorcism paradigm of churchianity, like by the power of Christ, get out, go back to hell where you come from. Like that doesn't help anything. That just keeps the war going. Uh, and I, I think, I, I don't know much about the Shipibo traditions cause I've never, I've never actually drank in that tradition. I don't have any personal experience. But it's what I understand from people who do, there's actually this idea of like engaging in shamanic warfare to the end of even killing demons. And I don't think that works either. You know, you can't fight fire with fire. You got to fight fire with water. You know, you can't fight hatred with hatred. You have to fight it with love. You can't fight darkness with darkness. You need to fight it with light. And so this is a solution to the duality problem. Because you get into this philosophical question of like, I don't believe in duality, like, like it's, duality is illusion. How can you say duality is, okay, so fine, but the, like, it, duality may in theory be an illusion, but people are being very heavily persecuted by evil. And it is, is leaving scars, it is ripping their souls into fragments, it, people are getting possessed, people are getting enslaved by evil. And they're doing evil, and they're harming, and it's real, and it's like bloody murder, and, 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 and evil things happening. That is very real. So, yeah, I guess it's illusion, but it's pretty darn real. So, like, I think that uh, a solution is, is seeing how this duality becomes resolved. Like, what happens, the shaman is the specialist of what happens when light meets dark. What happens when life meets death what happens when an angel meets a demon. Like the shaman is the one who mediates that encounter. And the kind of shamans that, I think that shamanism is evolving as well. Like the, 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 the gringos that come to the Sacred Valley are part of that evolution of shamanism. Like there haven't been Western shamans, there have been alchemists and occultists, but there haven't been like curanderos in the West ever that use these medicines to, to do soul retrieval work. Like this is a new phenomenon of like gringo ayahuasqueros, for example, or people like me that like run a Santa Daimi church that are giving, serving medicine all the time. 
you know, and working for people's healing, using these entheogenic medicines to do shamanic work. This is a new phenomenon. And so shamanism is evolving. And one of the things that needs to evolve is how we deal with this dichotomy of good versus evil. And what, what we do in this moment where the light meets the dark. And I think that um, there is an actual like revolutionary development happening where the light can actually illuminate the dark. And when the light and the dark meet, if the light actually has the power to illuminate the dark, then everybody wins. The dark and the light unite, and the, the dichotomy is transcended. And, and the dark has this important function, like, like, we shouldn't like wish that evil goes away, because the light needs, the, like the, the good needs the evil in order for the good to be good. The good needs the evil in order for the good to prove itself and, and manifest the good. Like, we get into complete fantasy when we're, when we're talking about good and only in conceptual terms. The good needs to be proven in how it reacts to evil, for example. Like, that, that helps to make the good real. So, like, shamans of the future, they need to be able to confront the evil and win and triumph over evil through goodness and actually work for the healing of the evil and the redemption of the evil. It's not enough to dominate the evil. It, 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 the, the evil has to be turned into good. And this is like really spiritually pioneering work. I don't even think that Shipibo shamans do this. I don't even know. Like this is the kind of work that's being pioneered in the Santa Daimi because there's enough power in the, in the, in the ceremonial works and the way that the, the ceremonies are structured that when, that when the darkness of the spiritual world comes to try to dominate, the light can actually transmute. And, and when the light is able to illuminate the darkness, then you have a situation where the war is ended. Like, there's no more war. The light and the dark become friends. They become allies. And the darkness helps the light become more anchored and more manifested and more real, but it also tests the light. Because you know this blind spot of the New Age blind spot, like, oh, I'm so humble. And then there's the disgustingly arrogant. Or like, I only have love and light. And meanwhile, they're, they're doing sexual abuse of their, of their students, you know? Like, this, this eternal problem of the shadow work, this eternal problem of the perpetual blind spot. I think that, like, with... I'm all love and light, but I, I hate Trump. <laughs> yeah, 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 no, I mean, there, there's a real illusion in that. That's the kind of new age, the breed of the new age flavor, the new age deception, that vibe, where it's like shadow work bypass, you know? So shamans need to be the pioneers of shadow work, but it's not about excising the shadow or banishing the shadow, or sucking out the shadow and spitting it into the... or burning it, like taking a demon out of somebody and then murdering it, the demon, or dissolving it. I don't know what the, 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 the shamans do, but I've heard stuff like they explode the demon, or they burn it, or they murder it or something. That doesn't evolve the cosmos at all. Like, like the, the real like redemptive thing is for the demon to be illuminated. Because demons actually bring gifts for us. They come into us, they come into humans through our, our areas that are still asleep, 
that are still unconscious, to use the psychoanalytic terminology. Like, they work in our unconscious, they manipulate us through our unconscious, and they operate through our unconscious. If we can illuminate our demons, then our unconscious becomes conscious, and then we become whole, and then we can, like, really become our uh, true potential. We can become bodhisattvic individuals that are illuminated and that don't have this huge split where our left hand does something that our right hand doesn't know about. And we, and we have this conception of ourselves like we're light workers or we're medicine workers, we're med carrying medicine, we're, we're working for people. And yet, if you, if you check the testimonials of the people that have done ceremonies with us, they say, yeah, that person's got a lot of darkness. So that person has like, is, 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 is working with demons or whatever. And the person doesn't even, genuinely doesn't even realize it. You know, so like there's this huge issue of shadow work. And again, this comes to the, the question of why we need or that this fact that we keep coming back to that we need elders that can help us illuminate our blind spots that can help us see our blind spots better than we can see them ourselves. But what happens when your elder has a massive blind spot? You know, like if you're studying the Shipibo, Shipibo, like uh, they've they're sorcerers. They deal, they fight with darkness, they work, but in some cases they work with demons. And they work with demons to deal with demons. That's an old way. They work with demons to deal with demons. Like they call a demon in order to pull out a demon from a patient. Or they call a demon to dominate another demon. But there's an evolution of shamanism that's happening in the world that, that you cannot escape, and this is going to be triggering, but you cannot escape this, this, this possibility that the West doesn't even know about yet, which I would call mystical, Gnostic, esoteric, entheogenic, Christian shamanism, where people are working, the shamans in this case, are working with the forces, the Christic forces. And the Christic forces represent a power in the spiritual world to illuminate darkness and power in the spiritual world that has like power over the demonic, but not, but, but a divine love, like a divine righteousness that is not like fighting fire with fire, you know, and this is new. This is really new. This is something that I was, that I was initiated into through the Santa Daimi. Santa Daimi can be considered a new form of shamanism that's like esoteric Christian shamanism, working with Christic forces in order to illuminate the darkness. Do you think it's something new or it's, it's something that, that was forgotten? It, it, well, it's, it's, a, it's a new, that's an amazing distinction actually. Um, it's a new evolution of an unbroken lineage that we have in, in, in Europe, in Western civilization, the, the predecessors of that are the Rosicrucians. The, the, the Rose Cross and, and the secret society of like Christian mages. They were alchemists and masters and mages and ascended masters, like, but they were, they were Christians. They were working with Christic forces and they were working with the entheogens. They're entheogenic Christian initiates. And this is a precursor. This is, this is a, an earlier link in the chain but then Sentodaimi is like a new phenomenon where it uses ayahuasca as a sacrament. And it does, and, it, and instead of having like your, your individual alchemist in his laboratory doing his Rosicrucian alchemy, 
it's group work. It's group shamanism. It, it, it operates through singing, collective singing, and uh, creating this kind of alchemical vessel as a group, which is a kind of new way of doing shamanism. When you think of a shaman, you think of an individual who sits in the dark with a chap, chapa, how do you, what do you call those things? Chakapa. Chakapa is like, you know, and like singing is, is channeled ikaros, which are channeled. And these are shamanic tools with the incredible science that can like do work, can do surgery on people, can do work, can, can do shamanic work on people. <coughs> and, um, and then the patients go and they lie down and they receive. And, and this is like in the dark at night, like in, in a bed with a puke bucket beside them. Um, in, in Santo Daimi, you have, it's group shamanism where everybody sings and it's like a, a collective voice and the more people singing, the more powerful. And, uh, and, and, and everybody takes responsibility for working. Everybody takes it upon themselves to be the, the shaman, but everybody's working to be the shaman by, and everybody's singing together and everybody's taking full responsibility for working for themselves and for the collective current. And that's really powerful. That's very, very, very powerful. And so, you know, I always think like ayahuasca is like the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you know, and like when you, when you drink it, you get knowledge of the spiritual world, but you get knowledge of, of, of the, the whole spectrum, like it opens up, you see that there's heavenly realms, but you also see that there's infernal realms. And that's why you, the shaman in that case is so essential to orient where things go from there. Like, you can have a, a dark shaman that serves ayahuasca and leads people into hell and sends them right into demonic traps where they get their, their, their soul, where they get possessed or they get their soul captured or something. Like, a dark shaman can do that. A good shaman can serve the same medicine. or It actually, no. It depends on who makes the medicine and what their intention is when they make it. But this uh, a, another type of shaman can make a di their own type of ayahuasca with their own prayer, with a different prayer, alchemize the ayahuasca differently so that it can be used for healing. It's possible to use ayahuasca for black magic. If you put a, a bad evil spell on it with evil intention, you can use it for black magic. But the same substances, the same like, you know, mo molecules, the same plants can be used in a completely different way with a different alchemy. And, and the shaman can then maybe guide people to realms of divinity you know, realms of, 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 of actual divine goodness and truth and healing and comfort and love and these things. So it depends so much on the morality of the shaman. Um, you know, and so Sentodaimi is like the, the, the sacrament is made with an explicit intention of calling the Christic impulse into it. It's like, you know, in the Catholic Church, when like the priest like waves his hand over the wine and it magically turns into the blood of Christ, like Santo Daimi is a kind of shamanic, alchemical, like real version of that, where the people making the sacrament are really calling the Christic presence to inhabit the liquid. So it becomes a sh kind of shamanic Christian sacrament that has a connection to the light, to the creator, to the goodness, to the love. And so that right there is already like extremely powerful. 
And if demons drink daimi, it it can it has the power now that 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 sacrament that ayahuasca sacrament we call daimi now has the power to actually illuminate darkness, because it, we're doing this kind of Christian shamanic magic. And um, so that that's pretty pioneering. I feel it's pretty new, and also like uh, the power of the spiritual current that gets generated. Um, is immense because there's like a room full of initiates channeling these hymns which are extremely powerful and the hymns are all received from a very high realm that are like keys that open up to the realms of the spiritual world where is the light where is the realms of the archangels where is the realm of the the Christic presence the realm of the divine mother this realms of like archetypal good the archetypal good, the, the kingdom of heaven, you know, and the hymns are like, like invoking that. And so the combination of like the alchemy done on the sacrament in combination with a group of people all singing together, it creates this immense light that has the power, so much power that can actually transmute darkness and can actually transmute evil. And that is a new approach to this like this shamanic dichotomy that's ancient this ancient battle between good and evil you know there's this beautiful uh, i think even with ayahuasca um, i always would find it quite interesting um you know when i was working at the center we we would take people on these little plant walks and kind of show them the ayahuasca vine and and you know even though there there was a lot of um this kind of mindset that, that for, for various reasons, I think I've talked about this in other podcasts, but often ayahuasca was referred to as like a, a feminine spirit, the, the, the grandmother. grandmother. Uh, and yet for the Shpibo, that's not the case at all. Actually, the ayahuasca vine is, is masculine, mm -hmm. um, but it's interesting because it's part of a duality. There's, mm -hmm. there's the vine, which is masculine, mm -hmm. and, and the plant, the, the chacruna, mm -hmm. or they, they would call it kawa, uh, which is feminine. Yeah. And the gnosis, the the uni, the knowledge is the joining of these yeah, two. Yeah, yeah. And then even the ayahuasca vine, you, you know, like like you were saying, this this kind of duality of light and dark. Uh, you know, it, it's so I think beautiful because when, when you look at this vine growing up a tree, you know, it starts very very small, uh, much like a, a snake, a serpent, you know, weaving up this tree. But if you leave it, if you let it ripen, it starts to get very thick. You know, almost like you, you can find old vines like the size of an anaconda, yeah, yeah, you know, going up this yeah. tree. But eventually the nature of a vine is, like you were saying, like a virus, a parasite. It, it kills its host. It yeah. strangles the, yeah. the tree. Um, and so the the duality with, with humanity, and it, it was another very common thing I saw with a lot of, you know, Westerners who came down. There was this, you know, and, and it's kind of this anti-human uh, view, which is that humans are somehow bad and nature is pristine. And, mm -hmm. um, but uh, I always, we're a cancer, yeah. yeah. But there's this beautiful thing with the ayahuasca vine because if you cut the vine when it's too small, it's not powerful, and you you probably kill the vine. But if you wait until it ripens, when it has this strength, and you cut it down you also save the tree. Mm -hmm. 
and the vine can keep growing. Mm-hmm. You know, and this is beautiful duality that humans are not only a cancer, uh, they're a vital part of nature. Mm-hmm. They're, you know, in, in the Christian sense, it's the stewardship. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not dominating nature. It's like a steward of nature. Mm-hmm. It's it's learning that, that symbiosis, learning how to harvest the medicine. When is it medicine? And then how to cut it so that it can be used as medicine for humans, but also it's you're now medicine for that tree and your medicine for the ayahuasca because you allow it to keep growing. Um, with this duality, I think it's interesting what you're doing um, as well because there's this duality where you have this online course, but you're also working with people in person. Uh, and, and it seems like so much of work these days is moving to this kind of online sphere, which which, which is beautiful. You know, there, there's a potent. I mean, that's that's what this is, even. Um, but with a lot of these things, you know, even like as you were talking about with these Western traditions, it was something I found myself too. Was I was studying these things like you know, like a, like a rabid maniac, just kind of consuming knowledge as much as I could and, and seeing the universality, seeing the commonality, mm-hmm. being, being very like internally moved by something. And yet at the same time, knowing that something was missing. And, and I think much like you, it was that shamanic calling, but the shamanic in that direct experience. Like I realized I, there, there was something I was understanding that was being shifted on a, in an intellectual and emotional level. But that direct experience of, of, of sacrament, of, of actually going in and not just having these ideas on an intellectual level, but in a deep felt sense. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's the real beauty, you know, as you were describing of, of what you call these entheogenic medicines is to work with them, you have to ingest them. Mm-hmm. There's a duality, mm-hmm. there's, there's a sacrament, there's a, I'm ingesting the blood and the body of Christ. Um, so where do you see kind of this going? Because it, it seems like, you know, again, more and more we are moving to an online world. And yet at the same time, that seems to be also, in a sense, part of our suffering is we're beginning to move away from this, mm-hmm. this reality, this like putting my hands in the dirt, like feeling what it is to, to be a part of nature. And, and much where this kind of like anti-human sentiment comes from is, is also this disconnect from nature, like the disconnect from the the realization of duality the the you know kind of trying to create an environment that is so safe that we forget that actually in removing ourselves or, or creating kind of this these fictional walls that seemingly keep us safe uh, we're actually losing out on you know even in that shamanic path that that initiation that going off into the darkness, mm-hmm. into the wilderness, mm-hmm. because actually that's where our salvation lies. Mm-hmm. And the more we get disconnected from that, uh, the more we suffer. And so kind of that, uh, you know, what do you think is that balance between 
that online world, learning things, feeding the mind, understanding things, which is, I think, also one of the, the true beauty, beauties of the, the, the Western civilization is that that intellect, that, that curiosity, the, the wanting to understand, to, to be able to reduce, to specialize, you know, even like in a medical sense. It's one of the amazing things is the specialization, like this guy who like knows everything about the heart, you know. But the downside about that is... Uh, like when I was in New York, I was doing jujitsu and I broke my nose and I, I went to the this biggest hospital in Times Square, which is like the center of the world. Nobody could fix my nose. Hmm. Why? Because everyone was so specialized that the guy who fixed the nose wasn't there. <laughs> and in a hospital of a thousand doctors, nobody knew how to fix mm -hmm. a nose. <laughs> mm -hmm. In the greatest you know civilization that that, that yeah. we we yeah. seem to know. Yeah. Um, so I, I know that's kind of a big thing, but but kind of going back to that duality, like that that balance between knowledge, between this online world, and and I think it's what you're you're doing is really interesting too. This like direct experience of continuing to work with these plants, and and also maybe if you can talk about uh, because you mentioned this this desire to work with men, like where where that comes from, mm -hmm. because I, th I think that's an interesting thing too, which also we've kind of moved away from mm -hmm. society mm -hmm. you know part of that like war and truth is like again that there is this duality there are men and there are women and it, it's kind of amazing that we live in a time that's where a controversial that that's a controversial statement in this time to say yeah. that you could be like accused yeah. of being hateful <laughs> for saying that right um uh, that's that's a lot of yeah okay um well when you were talking about the vine and you, you know what came to mind about like how like if you cut it too soon it won't grow it's not strong but if you leave it too long it can strangle the whole tree and then in order to get the vine at that point you have to kill the tree even you have to cut the tree down like it is so thoroughly wrapped around the tree that like if you want to get that vine you cut the whole tree down you know um, this is this idea that humans need to be pruned humans need to be pruned and even Christ says that in, in uh, which gospel? I think it was in John. He says, like, every branch that gives, that gives fruit, my Father will prune it so that it gives more fruit. But every branch that doesn't give fruit will be cut down and put into the fire or something like that. Um, this idea that, that humans need to be pruned. And we need to die in kind of regular increments. Like, and that's what shamanic initiation does. It kills us in just the right amount that we can rebirth you know we need to we need to have this we need to die in order to live and we need to die in order to heal and we need to die in order to to give birth to our divine self so this 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 duality that we have in life and death and how death gives birth to life and life gives birth to death and um so that, that's just what I was thinking of, you know, this idea that, that we really need to be pruned. And one of the things that, uh, one of the ways that, like, the online world is being set up to be a trap is that it's taking us away from the actual, we're being, we're being given, like, um, virtual initiations. Instead of actually going into the cave, drinking the medicine, and going through a gruesome death and shamanic death and rebirth, uh, you know, we're, 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 we've been given fake initiations. Like, this is why men 
are addicted to video games. Video games give fake initiations where you have an avatar and your avatar gets initiated, but you don't get initiated. And uh, like the, the movement, the, the way that uh, the online world has been harnessed after the pandemic, like we can do everything online now, that's taking away human contact. It's bringing us into these comfortable worlds where we're just kind of like now stuck in our womb, which is our home. We can do everything without leaving our home. And uh, this is creating a kind of infantile psychology where we, where we don't have to, where we stay in the womb for far too long. And this is like, this is just like an extension of what has always been happening in Western civilization for men where like the only way they've been initiated in the past is to get conscripted to go to war and to like fight and die for like globalist, like secret society agendas, you know, to be like, um, so I feel a call to work specifically in rites of passage, entheogenic rites of passages for men because, well, first of all, I do a lot of work with women in my church, my Santo Daimi church, like, the one we're doing tonight is specifically for the benefit of women. Like, so I'm doing that work, but that's not profit. That's for not, not for profit. That's charity. That's spiritual charity. That's part of my service. What I, what I want to create is a for-profit, uh, program for men that have already sort of um, been initiated into the materialistic world of illusion, the world of money, like they already have a profession, they already know how they're making money in this world, but they're now going through soul loss where they don't know their purpose. They've done everything that their society has told them they're supposed to do, they have a job, they have an income, they have a house, they have a car, they have a family even, and they just feel completely miserable. And uh, they're looking for uh, their higher self, essentially. And uh, I feel like I really resonate a lot with the warrior archetype. And I think that men need to awaken the spiritual warrior archetype in themselves because there's an inherent need for men to be warriors. Uh, it's something that's in our collective soul. Like men have always been the warriors, the women have been the mothers and the homemakers. Like that's just in history what's there. And that exerts a big gravitas on, on the male psyche. If a man doesn't know how to be a kind of noble spiritual warrior, he won't really love himself. He won't feel satisfied with who he is. He'll feel somehow like a boy walking around in a man's body. And when men are like this, they're very easily ensnared. They're very easily ensnared. They end up playing Call of Duty video game instead of becoming a spiritual warrior. The archetype of the warrior gets corrupted and harnessed. They become a conqueror of, of sexual conquests instead of being a protector. You know, they become addicted to pornography instead of being a lover of their wife. You know, they, they, the, the, the men, like everybody's being attacked. Women have had to deal with sexual enslavement for millennia. And now there's a big part of their unconscious and a big shamanic operation that needs to take place with soul retrieval for women, where women need to actually go deep into their soul and retrieve the part of them that has been sexually enslaved by the evil, corrupted patriarchy. That's a shamanic task that is like for all women. 
more or less. Like that's a kind of Western civilizational shamanic operation that needs to take place. The way that the sexual mysteries have been corrupted, the way that women have been enslaved, the way that they've been turned into sex slaves. This is something that is a deep shamanic operation for women. And I'm doing that work in my own, in my own spiritual community, but it's not for profit, like I said. Um, men, something, men need to retrieve the illuminated patriarchal impulse. You know, it's, it's like, it's so popular to say, patriarchy. That is so vague. That is such vague, like, term. It's like, no, it's not just patriarchy. Patriarchy is not inherently bad. It's diabolically corrupted patriarchy that's bad. It's, it, it, it's, it's anti-spiritual, violent patriarchy that's bad. It's a, so, so just as, like, we're living in a time of transition where women need to come into more power, uh, men need to purify their power and discover within themselves the illuminated patriarch impulse, the illuminated king impulse, the spiritual king impulse. Um, it's very common to say, like, like you know, to retrieve the suppressed feminine by saying, like, you need to realize that you're a goddess. And you're a goddess. Can you imagine men talking to each other, like, you need to realize that you're a god. Bro, you're a god. You're such a god. Like, it's almost comical. It's so absurd to talk in those terms. But what men need to actually retrieve is this illuminated masculine, the sacred masculine. It doesn't exist. We don't actually have like uh, a place for the sacred masculine. And you're seeing now more and more things like men's circles, because men are craving desperately uh, a temple for the sacred masculine. But in Western civilization, such a temple doesn't exist. We only have like sports and war. <laughs> you know, like, and those who don't, who aren't initiated into manhood through war, who aren't initiated into manhood through through sports, they're initiated into manhood through pornography and video games. You know, and they become like uh, slaves. Those are tools. Pornography is a tool, a satanic tool for soul enslavement. Uh, using using the corrupted feminine, you know, the enslaved feminine, like the the, the succubus energy, to enslave. The masculine mojo and so a man is being a man addicted to pornography is being sucked down by 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 vampires and um, is being corrupted their masculine impulse is not a noble that's being totally corrupted in people addicted to video games men addicted to video games you don't see a lot of women addicted to video games it's something particularly for men they're putting all their urge to be initiated into manhood in, in their the urge to undergo a hero's journey, that is being siphoned off into this fake reality, this virtual reality, where their their avatar is being coming a hero, and they're still stuck being a boy. You know, and those who go off to war, it's awful. Like they're being initiated into into aromantic manhood, where you kill and conquer and rape. You know, that's that's what we need to heal that's that's been haunting us for thousands and thousands of years for so long the reality of men is conquer or be conquered and and the reality of women is your man either conquers or you get conquered by your man's enemy you know you get addicted you get abducted and, and raped and, and enslaved by your by the man who murders your husband 
you know, or and that's so men need to become good warriors in order to defend their wife and children from being conquered by the neighboring tribe. Like this is this is the trauma that men grow up with. So men cannot escape the call of the warrior. They need to undergo an initiation into spiritual warriorship. And that's what I'm creating. That's what the Soul Invictus program is. It's a rite of passage into spiritual manhood and spiritual masculine warriorship. And uh, I just feel that that's filling a need, a deep psychological need for men. It's also filling a need for me to make a living because I, I devote a tremendous amount of time to the Santa Daimi Church that my wife and I run, and that's non-profit. I don't make any money doing it, and it gets the large portion of my, of my energy and time. And, but I have a lot to offer. I have so much to offer. And, you know, I think that this Soul Invictus program is a way for me to actually um, uh, offer a service that is extremely valuable to these men that are feeling a deep soul loss. And it's also a viable and honorable way for me to make a living for myself and my family, you know, which is part of like the part of something that I'm working on in myself to heal, which is my relationship with being a patriarch and a protector and one who can provide for my family and for my spiritual community, you know. So it's a kind of like wounded healer thing. Like my masculinity is still wounded, you know, like uh, I've been living in kind of holy poverty since I've been in Peru, you know, like, yeah, I'm, I'm doing good work. I'm helping a lot of people, but I'm still like in a state of poverty, you know, but I think that it's filling an important need and it's yet another, it's, it's, it's a growth of my, my journey as a modern shamanic individual to fill a need and do a soul retrieval for what my culture needs. Even though I'm living in Sacred Valley of Peru, this is a kind of like spiritual, crossroads I'm very much a westerner I'm a educate western educated I went to private schools and Ivy League schools and then I even went to graduate school in the states like I'm, I'm you know I'm a westerner I know how to speak to westerners and and I feel that my my shamanic service is to western civilization to do kind of soul retrieval work on what has been lost so I'm doing I'm doing work, soul retrieval work with the, with the fe, with with the feminine. Like my wife and I work together as like kind of husband wife shamans, and uh, together like I'm a musician. I provide the music, and my wife provides the shamanic work where she does the soul retrieval work for the women, and I prov I hold the space and I provide the music for her to do that work. So we're doing that work of soul retrieval for women. We're helping the women who have, have, have a part of their soul sexually enslaved. We're doing soul rescue for that. And that's very, very, very profound. I'm learning a lot about that. And that gives me a lot of hope for the future. That's one side of the equation. The other side of the equation is doing soul retrieval work for the men. And that's something that I'm cultivating now. They need to retrieve, um, you know, the connection to their divine self to the divine masculine, which has been taken from them. The only way that, they, that they, they know how to be men is through domination, through being richer, through being a dominator, through, you know, being in a very materialistic sense, an alpha male, you know. Um, 
helping men retrieve what's lost, also helping them do a soul retrieval on like on Western civilization itself, like this thing I keep coming back to about how we need to learn our own history. A man cannot be a man if he doesn't know the history of his culture. If he doesn't know the history of manhood throughout his whole culture. If he doesn't understand how manhood has been attacked all throughout the history of Western civilization, how it's been corrupted, then how is he going to be a noble man? You know, um... This thing about being a warrior, like a man has an inherent need to defend, you know, to defend women. That's something beautiful. When a woman feels that a man is protecting her, she feels in love. She feels turned on. She feels really, really, really good when there's a man who's, who's protecting her. And this idea of traditional masculinity, of nobility, of chivalry, this is being attacked in our culture. And this is part of a satanic agenda to attack men, to attack what it is to be a noble man. And so, you know, I'm, 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 I have this impulse in me to do this kind of modern shamanic work for men where they can retrieve the noble illuminated masculine impulse and get the kind of warrior training that they need in order to fight the good fight. Because, like, the men who want to be warriors, but they don't know how to use a sword, they get pretty frustrated. Men who want to be warriors, but they, and they even have a sword in their hand, but they don't know where to swing it, they get frustrated. They start flailing it and swinging it in all places they're not supposed to swing it. It gets misplaced. The archetype gets misplaced. Men need to know, if they're going to be spiritual warriors, they need to know what they're fighting against and they need to know what they're defending. And it's the education in combination with the entheogenic initiation. It's two things working together. It's coming, so, so the program uh, that I've created is actually twofold. It's online education combined with in-person entheogenic initiation work. The two working together. And this is like what Marseille Eliad said about like all shamanic initiation traditions are comprised of basically two components. He called it the ecstatic initiation, which is the where you take the entheogen, you get ripped apart, you go through like a crazy entheogenic journey, and then you get reconstituted and resurrected. And, and like you've actually done work on your higher bodies. You now have a shaman body, like you can now work in the spirit world like there's this there's this very visceral entheogenic experience where you need to die and be reborn but there's also an educational component where you learn the history of your tribe or you learn like thousands of ikaros or something like that you learn what you need to learn to be able to plug into the culture and be of service to the culture like you learn the cultural history or you learn the names of the spirits that have been protecting the culture or you learn how to work with the medicines that the culture uses or it's very cultural specific education so in the Soul Invictus program I'm offering both working together it's based on this premise that like Western men need to learn the history of Western civilization in order to find their proper place in society and uh, and to and to actually like be able to um, kind of orient this this warrior archetype or this king archetype or this patriarch archetype that wants to emerge in them 
and that when it doesn't emerge, a man can't feel satisfied with himself. A man can't be really happy. So, so to like anchor the, the emergence of this archetype in a spiritually illuminated way. And also another thing that, the, that is creating is it's um, like the, the premise of the program is that it's a one year program. It's split up like a school into three semesters. And each semester culminates with an entheogenic retreat in the Sacred Valley, where they actually where I do ceremonial work with the men. And I guide them through uh, entheogenic initiation experiences and masculine entheogenic rites of passage. But leading up to that, there's two and a half months of education and preparation. And following the entheogenic retreat in Peru, there's a month of integration. So that's and that times three. So it's not just like go to a retreat center uh, and then some shaman who doesn't even speak English, like who's relying on facilitators, serves you a bunch of medicine and sings his, sings his, his ikaros for you and you go to hell and you go to heaven and you get this like experience, this initiate, initiatic experience, but then that initiation experience doesn't get integrated there's no mechanism for integrating it. So how does a man return to Western civilization after that? There's a lot of potential for kind of um, mental illness and going and, and having a crippling depression or getting attacked by demons when you go back to Western civilization. Or the, the city, if you live in the city and like you work with sharks and psychopaths, there's demons everywhere. Everywhere. Like if a shaman, if a shaman, like a, clair, a real clairvoyant shaman went to... Western civilization, he would see infest the demon infestation everywhere. There are demons everywhere, you know, in all the billboards, advertisements, all the, the sexual perversions, all the anger, all the everything. There's in the bars and the, all the alcohol and all the the whorehouses, everything. There's just demons feeding everywhere, you know. And so, the, the a big problem, something I'm trying to solve as well with the Sol Invictus program is creating a vessel where people can be entheogenically initiated in, in, in the spirit of the hero's journey, where they can actually be empowered to return and like discover their own way of being a hero, their own way of being uh, uh, an illuminated man in, in their civilization, to be a protector and to be a warrior. And in order for them to be a warrior, they need to understand the civilization they're living in. So the preparation, a lot of it is, is occult education, like learning like the real spiritual history of Western civilization, doing kind of inner work to, so that when they come to Peru and have their entheogenic experiences, it will, it will happen in right, that the soil will be tilled already. It will already be ripe to receive. And, uh, and then also like a lot of integration work so that when they go back, they're not just like disconnected from, from their matrix. They can actually bring a light into the matrix that they were living in. So it's a kind of like trying to like illuminate the Western civilization instead of just trying to like rescue people out of it, give them like a Shipibo initiation. And then they go back and, they, and they, 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 they're disconnected and they're suffering a lot. So the design of the program is specifically geared to like train, initiate men to be spiritual warriors that can actually return to Western civilization and bring light and bring strength 
and bring nobility and and be protectors you know and and like a kind of like the you know the spiritual warrior archetype like every men like men like a lot like star wars and and, and like the the archetype of the jedi you know and and they i grew up wanting to be a jedi knight um and I think that when a man like discovers an actual way they can do that for real, it's very inspiring. And uh, they know how to direct their energies. Man who doesn't know how to direct his energies falls into pornography and alcohol addiction, you know. So, yeah. Anyway, so yeah, I feel I feel passionate about that, you know. And like I can only help a few. Like the the the, the premise. There's an application process to this program. I'm only taking eight men for a one-year program. And people, the men have to apply because I'm looking for special men. I'm looking for men that have a, a very powerful calling. They're like reincarnations of, of great like souls. And, and they know, they feel a greatness inside of them. But, but unless the initiate is initiated again, they can't tap into their power. So I'm really looking to, I'm fishing for finding those, those, those souls that have been initiated in the past. They've been fighting the good fight for a long time in the past. They know it. They feel it inside themselves. And they don't quite resonate with the indigenous shamanic paths, but they feel the call of entheogens very strongly. But they've been hesitating to go to the, to the ayahuasca retreat centers because there's something about the ayahuasca retreat centers that's not quite resonating. Because they're looking for something maybe a little more esoteric, a little more uh, Western, but such a thing doesn't exist yet, you know? So, yeah, I have a very specific type of, of, of person in mind that I really want to work with. And this is a way for me to, like, really be efficient in the limited time that I have. I mean, I'm doing a lot of work in the Santa Daime Church here, and I don't have a lot of time, so I want to really make it, like, very efficient and work with leaders work with men that are leaders that are that are meant to be leaders amongst men and and work with them to have this kind of rite of passage into real warriorship and into being a leader amongst men and then they go back and then they can influence other people and it's a kind of like trickle down effect that's all i really have, have the bandwidth for right now but I feel a, a real need for that, and I, I can feel them out there. Like I know somebody watching this is going to be one of them. I'm sure. Like 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 I'm 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 really like casting a net out there, and the the person who like the people who are perfect for this program are people that will will read the website and immediately know it. They'll be like, "This is what I've been looking for." I couldn't put it into words before, but this is what I'm looking for. And there'll be this excitement and this enthusiasm, like maybe this is the person to serve me my, my first cup of ayahuasca. Or maybe this is the person that, um, that I can actually trust to help me deal with my darkness, you know? Or this is the person who can, who can actually help me. Or this is the person that has a bit of knowledge that I've been looking for. Because I think that like, the, we're, we're, I love this romantic idea that like, souls are re- encountering each other in this lifetime and that right now we're living in the midst of this big reunion of, of light beings that that are like all gathered together here now because we're in this kind of dramatic showdown we're in this like critical juncture 
And so souls are finding each other again. Souls that used to work together in the past are finding each other again. And it's like a reunion. So I'm really hoping to meet my, my brothers, you know, from long time back, you know, people that, that I feel a really deep soul connection with. And um, it's, I've experienced that in the Santo Daime, like meeting people, like when I met my wife for the first time, I, I felt like, oh my God, we totally had this plan to meet. Like we totally had this plan to, to get together and, and do a mission together. And I feel like that also in, 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 in special circumstances, when I meet people in the, in the Santa Daime, I'm like, oh man, this is a beautiful reunion. Like I've known this person before, you know. And uh, that's what I'm doing with Soul Invictus. I'm casting a net out there to, 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 to find my brothers and be reunited with them and to continue with the work. Yeah, I think that's amazing. I, you know, but before we started, we were kind of looking at some of these certificates, and uh, I feel quite fortunate in a way because when I was growing up, you know, I grew up in the woods and and you know just running around and being connected to nature and being an Eagle Scout and just going camping <laughs> and and having a, you know a group of of as you said brothers like people yeah. who I was exploring with, yeah. pushing our limits, going on on you know week long hikes where you're carrying all your pack and your food and you know, pushing yourself and and also with jujitsu you know it's a it's a real it is a path of a warrior yeah. and it's it's pushing oneself mm-hmm. to, to to one's limits to where in the beginning like you think you're dying because some huge dude is on top of you and you can't breathe and you can't escape and there's nowhere to go there's yeah. nowhere to run to yeah. uh, and you realize you know how weak you are uh, not in a bad way but because you haven't been trained you haven't mm-hmm. been initiated mm-hmm. um and it it was interesting because growing up, I, I think I, I had those things and I took them for granted. And 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 I think a big part of my work was was also kind of pushing back against a lot of the the kind of negative stereotypes of of masculinity. Mm-hmm. But it's amazing, I, I think, because in in my life, I've also seen that pendulum now swing to the other direction. And as you were saying, that, that I think there is a real war against men right mm-hmm. now. And. And, and what those values are. And, and again, even this idea, which, <clears throat> you know, may trigger people, but I think it's important to say that men and women are different. And that's not a controversial statement. It's, it's as old as life itself. It, it's what allows life to exist, is there's a man and there's a woman. And it's very different archetypes. And, you know, I think even as you're doing <clears throat> in your work with Santa Daime, like that's very much embodying those archetypal masculine feminine mm-hmm. qualities of, of, of the man who's holding the space, creating, creating the, the, the space, the atmosphere, the, the, the boundaries, the, and then, and then the, the, the woman energy, which is the, the light, the dance. And that's exactly what ayahuasca is. The, those two, mm, those principles two principles working, working together. Yeah. And I think, as you said, there, there is a real kind of war on masculinity where a lot of those qualities are being systematically, uh, attacked um and and i think in a in a large part it's because the man is the warrior because on the most fundamental level we have that strength within our bodies uh 
and 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 I think a lot of the the the, the problems we're facing in the world is because there aren't men standing up to truth, to justice, to to righteousness, because that's been bred out of us. Mm -hmm. And when that's bred out, then as you said, it's very easy to control someone because mm -hmm. people don't eat they. They're so brainwashed that they don't know what's right anymore. Mm -hmm. They don't know what's true. They're, they're lost, as you said, in, in the pornography or the video games or in shamanic terms, the mediation of life, the mm -hmm. dizziness of life. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think that work is, is very important. It, it also reminded me, I, I was speaking to a friend the other day, and she was recently with the, it was either the Kogi or the the Arawaku maybe, and, and it was very interesting. And someone was asking them about climate change and why there was climate change and their answer was because humans have forgotten their sexuality wow <laughs> you know which is yeah. i'm sure you can take that many ways yeah. but but you know it goes to this very fundamental thing of again who are we where do we come from mm -hmm. and, and when we lose that the world becomes mm -hmm. out of balance mm -hmm. so yeah I, I think that's uh, i think that's amazing what you're doing and uh you know, also just the from from sitting here and, and speaking to you and, and what I've listened to you uh, on, on your your whatever you call them the the, the web series or the the web the webinar series, webinars yeah. uh, you have a lot of information to share and and I think really valuable information and and I think you know much like that that archetype of the shaman it's something which is really important which is going back out into our societies. Mm. Um, you know, and we do come from the West, and that's a beautiful thing. You know, and I think that's another part of kind of the war that's being waged is the is shame. The, the shame. Self -loathing. Yeah, self-loathing. That's been set up. Yeah. The, the war against the masculine has been set up, and the same mechanism we were talking about about how the the, the churchianity and the the, church, the Christian church was set up and corrupted. The war that's on 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 good masculinity uh, has been set up with thousands of years of corrupted masculinity. <laughs> so that what's so clever and why the devil in this case is so brilliant and, and why this, the trap is so convincing is that it's founded in true. Like, yeah, men have been oppressors. Yeah, like the white man is the devil in a sense. Like, like if you look at history, like look at all the colonial atrocities that white men have been doing. You know, like so, so men have been possessed by a kind of archetypal devil impulse, like the, the will to power and domination and conquering and subjugation. And that's all the world has ever really known. So the world has never really seen an illuminated masculine impulse, an illuminated patriarch impulse. The word patriarch is evil. Just like the word Christianity makes shamanic people run in the opposite direction because all they've ever seen is a corrupted Christianity. Just like that's all I've ever seen is a corrupted patriarchy. It's so down with the patriarchy. But that's a trap too. You need the balance. You need like the divine masculine working with the divine feminine. And like that has never happened before. That is like truly pioneering territory. And that's what everybody's craving. Deep down like that, like men want to be real men. And when a man is a real man, like with, with an illuminated masculine impulse, a woman will love that and will, 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 will be attracted to that and will, will, will support that and wants men to become like that. When men don't have that, when the men aren't doing that, there's something really deep in a woman that gets very angry with the man, that gets very like, like attacks the man. 
wants to put him down, wants to castrate him, wants to emasculate him because the man is not being the kind of man that they're, they're unconsciously yearning for, which is noble, which is considerate, which is a protector, which is, which is somebody that, um, you know, like a, a kind of new, a new ethos for masculinity is like how to be strong and sensitive at the same time. And like that has never really existed. The pendulum swings. You have like emotionally um, damaged men that completely cut off their emotions or you have men that become so emotional that they become really feminine and soft and weak and women are not attracted to that. So like we're doing this kind of collective alchemy. Like we're, we're I, I like to, alchemy is like my master metaphor for everything. I see history in terms of alchemy. I see like historical traumas being alchemically harnessed to create things. Like I see divine beings doing alchemy on the human race. I see like the, the initiates of, of, of Western civilization have all been alchemists, you know. Um, and the, something that Jung talked about is how alchemy proceeds with the union of opposites all the time. It's always like the new consciousness is being created with this union of opposites. And so there's this alchemy. There, so while we're living in a culture where there's like evil alchemists doing evil alchemy on our souls, to fragment, to traumatize, to turn the masculine into toxic masculine, turn the feminine into toxic feminine, to get everybody fighting. And then at the same time, that's the setup for turning everybody against the toxic masculine. So it's like, you should hate men, because look, men are toxic. But what they don't tell you is that, 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 that the same voice that says you should hate men is the same voice that made men toxic in the first place. It's all a trap. It's all a setup. And so we're fighting against that by doing illuminated alchemy. And one of the illuminated alchemies that, that men need to do is to actually awaken the feminine in their soul. Because yes, we have the binary bodies, like, you know, there's masculine female bodies, but the soul and the alchemy of the soul is more subtle and more, and more refined than that. Like the illuminated man needs to have a certain type of sensitivity that comes from the feminine part of their soul, compassion consideration, a certain gentleness, a certain noble gentleness that comes from doing this kind of internal alchemy where the masculine and the feminine inside their soul is balanced. And that leads to a sort of illuminated masculinity. And, you know, likewise with women, there's that kind of internal alchemy that women are being called on to do in order to balance. And if both the men and the women do this internal alchemy, then that creates the possibility for the Mas the, the sacred marriage, the alchemical marriage of like divine masculine, divine feminine. And that's what creates God. That creates the philosopher's stone. That's what, that's what we're all kind of wanting. That's what we're all working towards. And there's so much forces that are opposing that, you know, like they want to, they want us to do the unholy alchemical marriage. And, um, yeah. So that's how I see things in terms of like the alchemy. And I'm not like as a really, like, I, I see the reality of, of gender binaries, but the, the question is really complex and really subtle because we have astral bodies. We have physical bodies, but we have astral bodies, and our astral body has masculine and feminine qualities. And um, it's possible to have, like, the body of a man but the soul of a woman, or the body of a woman the soul of a man and a woman, and there's the infinite, like, variety of, and permutations of ways that, that we... we do this kind of 
polarity alchemy of like masculine feminine polarities there's so many different ways um so my ideal for like an illuminated man is not just like a um is a, is a man that actually has the feminine qualities well integrated into their soul so that they're capable of tenderness and empathy and compassion and yet they're badasses and warriors and protectors and they get they get things done and they're powerful and they stand up and they're they have this masculine presence but at the same time they 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 take care of flowers you know and then they they, they admire flowers when they pass the flowers you know uh so that's a new ideal that's like like just like we're seeing a new new uh vistas of shamanic work in santa daimi with like this actually like resolving doing a union of opposites with light and dark where the two illuminate each other and like the two create co-create each other i think like um we need to do something kind of similarly revolutionary with gender relations and with like how men and women interact with each other and this is something that is being harnessed as well with the with like you know um trying to deconstruct traditional gender binaries there's something wise about that but that truthful wise impulse is being hijacked in order to pervert and corrupt there's always this game of hijacking the solution just like with entheogens like we talked about how entheogens are the solution there's very subtle diabolical forces working to hijack that uh in a number of ways like the the way that the ayahuasca scene is evolving in the United States where people are paying $1000 a night and 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 they're like so it's getting decadent and it's going to mark my words in the future it's going to turn into a soul harvesting thing just like everything else like there's many 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 traps and like the the legalization of entheogens people who don't understand the history of western civilization are not going to have the discernment to recognize that this is actually very dangerous and that like if you take entheogens out of the context of shamanic elderhood it's setting people up to be possessed or to go be funneled into a world of falsity of 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 pseudo spirituality where there's like a bunch of tricksters feeding on people and and convincing them that they're that they're like ascended masters that have come with all this grandiosity like you're going to see when when entheogens get really legalized people are like this is amazing wow there there's, there's a whole new breed of psychotherapists that are like doing psychedelic psychotherapy and like you know i i'm wondering like you know these psychotherapists that are giving psychedelic psychotherapy are they themselves shamans no are they themselves even initiated no you go to a certification program and you get some sort of certification to do psychedelic psychotherapy and you give people bigger doses of mushrooms than you have ever done yourself you know or like or or you're guiding people in realms that you've never personally known yourself and that's just like seemingly harmless i mean that doesn't even seem ostensibly harmful but like things that are happening now with like legalization of entheogens and all these startups that are that are happening like um i would say actually those things are harmful because you know something i've seen a lot in my work is is more people begin to do these these practices or they they go to places you know even like big ayahuasca centers yeah. and they work with people who haven't had those experiences themselves mm-hmm. 
And so then when they, when they go to the, like a very deep place, a place where there's, you know, it's a very fine line, as you were saying, like between sanity and psychosis, but the person translating that experience hasn't been to that place. It's not their fault, but all they can do is translate it through their own Mm -hmm. worldview, through their own experience. Mm -hmm. But in that untrue translation, they then feed or seed that person who's had that experience with something that's untrue. And then that creates a psychosis. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So the, so the need, again, this, the same theme of like the solution is being framed for failure. It's being set up for failure. And this is a game that has been played all throughout the beginning of our whole civilization. This has been a pattern that's plaguing us. And, and, and like I say, we, I, I, people need to educate themselves into this pattern so that they can see it, how it's playing out now. And the, so we, the, the, the antigen was removed from Christianity right from the beginning, and we were given a fake vaccinated version of it. Uh, and that's all we've ever known. But now that the entheogenic sacrament, which is so essential to know your divine self, entheogen, you know, like, uh, is being restored to us. But but our but our shamanic rites of passages have been have been corrupted by the secret societies on the one hand, or completely denied us from our education and indoctrination into materialism on the other hand. So now the solution's being given to us, but now we don't have the framework to, to use it properly. And so it, we're set up for all, for all forms of... So, so yeah, like, antigens are the solution, but they're also, uh, you know, danger, like red alert, danger. Danger, like, uh, we use them in the wrong way. We can actually get possessed. We can fall into complete delusions of grandeur. We can fall into sorcery. We can become unconscious sorcerers without realizing it. Um, we can do serious damage to our soul. And, um, and also like entheogens themselves are not inherently, they're tools, like they can be used for soul capture as well. You can give somebody an entheogen and put them in a spell and steal their soul. Or you can put them in a spell and, and, and hypnotize them and make them do things, you know? So yeah, I, (laughs) I'm very happy and satisfied working in the line of Santo Daimi because it's a lineage that's connected to elderhood and I feel protected by that, you know? And um, I'm, what I'm offering in my for-profit business is not Santo Daimi because Santo Daimi is a, is, a, is a spiritual tradition and it's not for making money. But I'm taking, like, you know, the, the, the training that I've received in Daimi and I'm, I'm offering it in a form of elderhood to men that are really seeking to know themselves and to like really connect to the truth. Uh, and a big part of the program is, is like teaching about this setup mechanism, how, how people, men are being framed, how the spiritual awakening that we're going through now is, is already gr- rigged. It's already framed. Like um, people need to understand this. Or we're going to just be the awakening energy that is in humanity. It's so beautiful right now. Like this idea of this age of Aquarius and humanity's awakening and we're going to create heaven on earth and all that. That impulse is true. But there's so many devils just waiting to take it here and there. Um, so, 
Yeah, this is what I, I keep coming back to is like the importance of knowing our history so that we can have the discernment we need to be warriors because it's not a question of how hard you can swing a sword. It's like the warrior, the spiritual warrior of today is the one who has the discernment, who can know the difference between the truth, a complete lie, and a half-truth. And, uh, and like, w warriors need to be defenders of truth. And so much deception, like with the pandemic, like a warrior in the context of the pandemic is somebody that helps people not fall for the, the deception, the lie, the lie that is trying to ensnare our soul. But I think like there's a, such a profound relationship between being a warrior and being a defender and an affirmer, an affirmer of truth, of the truth. In order for us to learn the truth, it's necessary that we, we go through, I think, an initiation process, but an initiation process that's guided by a, a genuine elder, a genuine elder. We really rely on that. We always have, you know, nothing's changed. Say, oh, we don't need elders anymore. I have my elder inside of me, my inner guru. That's a trap. That's a trap. We still need elders. So I feel really lucky. Like I've, I've, I've had elders. You know, I went looking for them. I found them. I feel myself connected to something greater than me. I feel myself a part of a chain, and that gives me a real sense of purpose and a real sense of orientation and discernment. And I feel useful. And I feel like I'm doing service. And that's the most amazing feeling. I can die happy with that feeling. You know, I feel like I found my purpose. I feel blessed to have found my purpose. And I'm super passionate to keep doing it. And it gives me lots of energy to do my work, you know. And a man who doesn't know his work in the world feels depressed, falls into oblivion, alcohol, you know, gets, gets captured. Not everybody's going to survive. Like we're in a kind of spiritual war and a lot of people aren't going to make it. But I'm, 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 I'm kind of casting a net for the people that are like real warriors that have a real wisdom inside of them, that have a real power inside of them, and then have a real sense of truth inside of them and they know it when they hear it. And I have some just a few tools, a few keys to offer them. And once they get these keys, it'll like click everything into place and then off they go to their life's purpose. Well, Andrew, I, I think it's amazing what you're doing. Uh, we're coming up on almost four hours. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Been a pleasure. Yeah. It's like my webinars. <laughs> um, is there anything we, we didn't touch on that you want to go into? I, I mean, I think we could talk for another four hours. Mm -hmm. So I think at some point I'd, I'd love to do round two. Um, I mean, your your webinars are amazing, and I actually look forward to to to, to finishing it. Um, are there ways that people can to access that, and then the the, the program you're doing, the Soul Inviticus and Invictus? Invictus, Invictus yeah. Invictus means uh, like like uh, unconquered. Mm. Like so, Soul Invictus means unconquerable sun. And so archetypally, that's like the masculine, divine masculine spark, like the solar logos, the solar force. And it's this divine masculine force that is, is unconquerable. It's really related to the Christ archetype, you know, um, soul invictus. Uh, so that program is not for everybody. This is a very like specialized program. Uh, it's a year-long program with three trips to Peru and education and preparation and integration work all throughout. 
But I also have an online community that's on Mighty Networks. It's the School of Modern Soul Science online community, and it's a cultural hub for people that really feel like they're going through a modern day shamanic journey. It's a, it's a, a, this is like one of my like hero, like creating this online community is one of like my hero's journey accomplishments of like, because uh, the wound is not having a culture, a shamanic culture in the West. Not having a group of peers that can relate to what you're going through. Not having a group of people that are interested in the same things that you're interested in. Um, and so I've created this online community for my school that is specifically for modern shamanic people that are all interested in the same thing. You know, it's amazing. Like the, the, when people touch by this archetype, it is the, this the shamanic archetype truly is a basis for a subculture. So my school consists of courses that like, but but at the base level, it's an online community that people can can join for like ten dollars a month, and then and then if they want, they can take the courses that are contained in the community. So people listening to this now, they like. They, they resonate with this idea of like Western, like shamanism as an archetypal phenomenon. This idea that there are many Westerners that are getting bona fide, authentic shamanic awakenings. Um, and they want to be part of an online culture of like of kindred souls that are going through the same thing. My online community is really amazing for that. It's amazing for that. So that's, that's for everybody. It's very accessible. And the Soul Invictus program is for like specific men, like like the, the eight men that I'm that I'm like I know are out there, you know. Um, but the community is for everybody, men and women, and everybody, and rich and poor, and everything. Like the people I've been working with in the School of Modern Soul Science are almost invariably going through a lot of financial difficulties because to have a shamanic awakening, it really, <laughs> it really destabilizes one's life, and it's really hard to like hold down a job or pursue a bullshit job uh, with a bunch of psychopaths in a corporation is like it, almost next to impossible when you're having a shamanic awakening. So it's very, 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 very common that I work with people that have virtually no money. So all of my courses are like underpriced, to be honest. And people could tell me you're, you're underpricing everything. I'm like, yeah, but I want to actually reach the people that need it. The people that need it are, are fighting off like being, being, uh, you know, imprisoned in the psychiatric hospital, you know, and they're just struggling to make it day by day, most of them. So the online community is really good for that kind of person. And, and like I said, the Soul Invictus program is more specialized. So uh, through the webinars, like, I've been working so hard in my Santo Daime community that like, I've really neglected my online school. Like I created the webinars as a, as a lead magnet you know, to like enroll people in the school. But I, I, uh, I didn't have enough money to pay for the webinar hosting program. So my like enrollment mechanism isn't even working now. So the, I can, I guess on your channel, like when this posts on your channel, uh, I can include Vimeo links to the, to the webinars so people can see the webinars, but the, the, the mechanism for enrolling in the community won't be in place. So maybe we can post uh, the enrollment page for the online community if people want to be part of the School of Modern Soul Science community. Yeah, it's something that has a lot of potential that hasn't been realized yet. 
because I've been just spread so thin. I'm trying to do so many, so many things. And I really neglected my entrepreneurial work. Like I'm a passionate entrepreneur and, but I've just been totally neglecting my enterprises. And uh, so anyway, <laughs> hopefully if somebody watches this and they, 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 they can check out the online community. And the Soul Invictus, there's and the Soul uh, Invictus program. So I don't know if we, we could post this on the channel when it when it comes up, but like uh, there's a website for the Soul Invictus program, and they can read all about the program and they can apply on that website. It's soul s o l hyphen invictus dot info, soul hyphen invictus dot info. That's the Soul Invictus page, and um, we can post the Vimeo the webinar. Tremendous amount of information given away for free, and um, and we and the enrollment to the online community. If people want to join the online community, I think at this current moment, I think it's ten dollars a month. But it's so shameful. I'm being so neglectful of this jewel that I've created that like I don't even remember how much I'm charging for it right now. And the school also has a website. The school it's... the school is located within the online community. Okay. So people can join the online community and just, it's like amazing. It's amazing. Um, and that's the School of Modern... The School of Modern Soul Science. School of Modern Soul Science. Modern yeah. Soul Science. And, um, and if they want to take my courses, they can like enroll within the online community. Like they join the online community first and they check out the courses and they enroll in the courses. All right, great. Well, we'll put a link to all those in the show notes, and then any updates, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll change them as it goes along. Right on. Yeah. Cool. Well, Andrew, man, this has been a pleasure. I, I appreciate, uh, you know, you, your time, everything you say, uh, you know, basically everything you say really resonates, and uh, I think you're doing really, really beautiful work and really profound work. And, Thank and, you, Jesus. And I wish you the best. And, Thanks uh, for having me. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, Maybe maybe our paths will cross and some collaboration happens in some way. But uh, you know, again, I, I think you're doing amazing work. So I'll I'll, I'll try and uh, you know share your stuff in, in any way I can because I, I think it's very important. Thanks. So, yeah, yeah. It's been a pleasure. Thank yeah, you. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> All right, everyone. That's it. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Andrew. Uh, it was, uh, I think, a, for me, a beautiful and fascinating conversation. I, I think he has a lot of wisdom to share. So I, I hope you really enjoyed that conversation. Um, I'll uh, put a link to Andrew's work in the show notes. Uh, so if you feel like learning more about him, if you liked what he was talking about, definitely consider supporting him. Um, even just his uh, webinar, there's a four-part series. It's like 16 hours or something. There's a lot of information there and a lot of really beautiful information. So I'd highly recommend checking that out. And then uh, if you feel called uh, uh, signing up or supporting the, the, the school that Andrew started. Um, I think that's it. Um, I'm not sure of my next guests. Uh, this is actually the last episode I'm shooting before I head to the U.S. to run Dieta. Uh, probably when this is released, um, our Dieta in uh, Boulder, Colorado will already be over. Uh, but I do believe we still have a couple spots available in the New York retreat. So if you're interested in, in doing a plant Dieta and working with myself and my colleague Marav Artsy, uh, you can find out more information on my website at Rustica.org. Uh, there's a link to that in the show notes. 
Um, and then always, if you're able to support this podcast, that's a really big help to me. Patreon is a beautiful option. You can sign up for as little as a dollar a month. There's different tiers you can sign up for. Those tiers give you different things back, uh, early access to shows, bonus material, Q&As. To all of the people who are supporting via Patreon, to all of the patrons, as always, thank you very much for your support. I really appreciate it. And if you're able to do that, thank you in advance. That's a, a really big help to me, a really big help to this show, to all of the guests, to, to keep the show running. So thank you in advance. Um, if you're not able to do that, if you're, you're not in a place to do that, uh, always, uh, helping with the algorithms is also a really big way to, to help to support the, the work of this podcast. So if you're viewing this on YouTube or Rumble, um, subscribing to the show, turning on the notification bell, liking the video, uh, leaving any questions or comments in the comment section, those things all really help with the algorithms. And then if you're viewing this show, uh, the, the two biggest platforms are still Apple Podcasts and Spotify, uh, following or subscribing to the show, leaving a starred rating, a short review, those things really help. So I hope this finds you all well. Uh, if you made it through the, the entire four hours, uh, good on you. But I, I think there's a, a lot of information that he shared there. And uh, uh, for me, it was a really beautiful conversation, and I hope you all enjoyed it. Uh, thank you all for the support. I hope this finds you all well. Um, thank you again, and I will see you all on the next episode. Doom.